Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Emilio Diaz, and I am only joined today by... Breaking news, Stan, Colin Adley. <laughs> yeah. The rest of our co-hosts and guests couldn't make it for this segment, but Telluride dropped the announcement of their new festival lineup, so me and Colin decided we have to hop on and talk about it a bit. Yeah. It's going to be a real short list of movies like everyone loves. Yeah, and we're going to just uh, run through some of them. Obviously, there are some are some of the festival season staples uh, in this lineup. We have Bergman Island is here, Andrea Arnold's Cow. Uh, uh, yeah, Belfast. Um, yeah. The, the Kenneth Branagh movie that's at TIFF, so is... Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. Yeah, uh, Petit um, Maman, The Velvet Underground documentary, Spencer. A Hero. Yeah, all Power of the Dog. A lot of movies that have played at other festivals. So we're not going to talk Rocket. about. Yeah, we're not going to talk about those because you already know them. But there are some movies that there are some high profile and low profile movies that are, will debut here and don't seem to be announced for anywhere anywhere else. So. Some of those movies are like um, King Richard, I think, is the big premiere that people are looking at here. Mm-hmm. The Reynaldo Marcus Green movie starring Will Smith, where he plays Richard Williams, Father 2, Serena and Venus Williams. It is like standard Oscar play, it seems. Uh, yeah, I think we talked about it like on one of our first or like second episode, maybe as like a movie that some of us were like interested in and excited about maybe yeah i saw the trailer it looks a little standard i don't know how it makes uh, like maybe when i like if i watch it maybe there's something else there right now i'm sort of like i'll watch it but i'm not much more excited for it um it's weird that it isn't playing tiff but i guess that might just be like a weird tiff is doing digital we don't want to do digital even though tiff also like eventually acquiesced and let some movies not play digital so interesting yeah we have uh colin do you have anything you want to mention um i mean so there's some weird stuff that it's just like we were talking about before of like movies that i just had no idea were even like happening like there's Cyrano, which is a new Joe Wright movie that's a Cyrano de Bergerac with Peter Dinklage and Haley Bennett. Um, there is a new Peter Hedges movie, which I guess he hasn't done one since, what, Ben is Back? Yeah. I mean, that wasn't a long time uh, ago. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I guess um, he, he does a few every couple of years. Um, the Same Storm, this one is called, and it is... Uh, Murray. Raul Castillo, Noma Dumzinwe, Brittany Bradford, Mary Louise Parker, um, and Elaine May. Elaine May? <laughs> yeah, Elaine May is in it. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is just like, uh, how is this movie <laughs> coming out and <laughs> literally no one is talking about it? Um, but it's going to be at Telluride. <laughs> That's... Uh, it sure um, will be at Telluride. We have uh, a movie, The Duke. The Duke. A Roger Michel movie. It's Helen Mirren is in it, it, it seems. Jim Broadbent <laughs> playing uh, a 60-year-old man. <laughs> Which Colin seems to be fascinated by. And I'm like, I mean, he's, o- he's older than 60 by a bit. <laughs> he, 
I think you're reading into a 60 year old too literally. I don't I don't think it's I mean, 60 year old. <laughs> yeah. Um there's some docs. There's a Ken Burns Muhammad Ali duck. Yeah, that'll be um, big, I assume. Yeah, especially it's a, interesting a, Ken Burns going back to the making a singular person focused mm-hmm. sports documentary after he like shit talked the last dance last year. I don't know if you saw this. Sure, yeah. He's like, Well now let me do it. <laughs> did you see that, Colin? No, I, I did not see him talking shit. <laughs> he was just like, That isn't a documentary, that isn't journalism. That's just like you know, like talking heads, yeah. Not even talking heads, but I feel like it's just like you know, it's like marketing for Michael Jordan, I think is like his criticism. Sure. Like, <laughs> like it isn't like actually um, critical of him or whatever. So it it it's interesting that he's making this now. There's also Citizen Ash, which which is the Arthur Ashe documentary. Um, Fauci, which is a documentary about Fauci. We um, we assume flee that at we yeah I did look it up. It is about Fauci. Okay. <laughs> um, their flee, which is that animated documentary that I think is out in New York, and maybe Tiff also is. Is the real years. Charlie Chaplin a documentary? It is, yep. That's a documentary about uh, the sort of, you know, behind-the-scenes life of Chaplin. There is also... Uh, what was the other one? We mentioned Cow. Uh, there's the um, Becoming Cousteau, which is about Jacques Cousteau by Liz Garbus, who I think did What Happened Miss Simone, that Nina Simone documentary. Yeah, she's like um, a documentary whose name I recognize. Yeah. She's made some stuff. She had the Amy Ryan movie last year. Yeah, that, I think um, that, that was like yeah, that was like her foray into like fiction. Yeah, um, but I guess she's also directed and some then, Handmaid's Tales. Okay, yeah, but um, and all yeah, in so the fight for democracy that like, doc- right? Yes, yes, yes. She also directed that. Um, there's a documentary about Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. <laughs> Seems like a thing that would be at Telluride, sure. Yeah, we'll get a Zack Snyder talking head, I'm sure. Um, uh, one of the big ones that's stood out to me is uh, Marcel the Shell with the Shoes On, which is Dean Fleischer Camp and Jenny Slate. They used to do these YouTube shorts where Jenny Slate would voice a little snail that had, like, googly eyes and had a high-pitched voice. And it was just, like, some weird YouTube bit that they did. Um... But now I guess it's a movie, <laughs> and I had, like, no idea about it. Um, and, I mean, I think we talked about Dean Fleischer Camp a while ago because he did some sort of hybrid documentary um, that, I guess, people had, like, a strong reaction to, like, not knowing if it was real or not. Oh, yeah, I think I know what movie you're talking about. I feel like Jesse saw this movie. Fraud. It. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's Fraud is the yeah, name yeah, of the yeah. movie. Uh, there are all other, like, f- movies that are playing, other festivals that are playing here. Come On, Come On will play here. Yeah. Um, uh, what else? What else? There's a new Robert Greene movie uh, called Procession. Robert Greene, who did, like, Kate Plays Christine, an actress. Okay. And is, like, Alex Ross Perry's editor. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, he does. He, I mean, he does really interesting movies, and it's about like um, a group of sexual abuse survivors by the Catholic Church, and they're trying to sort of get justice. I'm not uh, sure if it's a documentary or not. 
because um, he sort of also does hybrid. Like I believe Bisbee Seventeen was a sort of hybrid, and Kate plays Christine. Obviously, is like yeah. playing with that idea. There's um, a movie called Nuclear Family, which I think is also like a weirder like documentary about Rai Russo Jung is the director, and I think it's about her family. Yeah, she did um, Before I Fall, which I know people like the um, sort of uh, Groundhog Day Zoe Deutsch movie. <laughs> yeah, I, that's when I know. I feel like um, I know it's got it's like and it's that one was like written by Gina Prince Blythewood. I forgot. Uh, yeah, but that one's got its fans for sure. She's like an interesting director and it comes from an interesting sort of crew of people. Um, yeah, there's like, uh, did we mention Spencer? Yes, we mentioned Spencer. Obviously, he's going to play Venice, uh, going to play Tiff. Yeah. Not playing and This is also a good time to plug. Uh, we're doing a Pablo Lorraine episode next week. Yeah, you should uh, watch some of his movies. You should watch Neruda, No, and uh, Jackie. We're going to be talking about them next week. It's a fun yeah. guest. It's a fun episode. Oh, there's also yeah, en- um, Encounter, I think, is another thing that is getting, like, that is, like, a sort of bigger movie that's playing here, which is, like, a British sci-fi movie with Riz Ahmed. Yeah, the Riz Ahmed. Octavia Spencer. Uh, Octavia Spencer. Janina Gavankar. Yeah. yeah. Um, there is Julia, which is a Julia Child documentary. In my mind, um, I feel like there's, like, 18 Julia Child documentaries, but I guess that might not be true. I mean, look. I feel like I've just seen a lot of, like... Say old footage of Julia Child but I guess that just might be like people posting clips of Julia Child yeah um there's also The Lost Daughter the Maggie Gyllenhaal movie yeah. I think Andy might be seeing that in New York so you will hear us talk about it um yeah Unclenching the Fist the Kira Kovalenko movie is there anything else that you managed to look up before there is that movie, The Automat, it's a documentary by Lisa Hurwitz, and I was, like, having trouble finding information about it, but it's about, like, a famous old restaurant in Philly, New York, that, like, a lot of, uh, I guess, like, sort of Hollywood people, like, the big names that it uh, adverti- or advertises, that it mentions that, like, are in the documentary as interviews are, like, Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks, and uh, what's interesting about it is that it is... It was like a Kickstarter movie in like 2015, and it's now coming out. Um, that is interesting. Yeah. Um, that movie Bitter Brush is also a documentary, uh, Amelia Madavian, and it's about these women who, or these young women who work on a uh, as cattle herders, and sort of like their relationship to each other. <laughs> And it's a doc as well. Yeah. Did we mention um, the Sorrentino yet? That it is playing at that. Yeah, end? yeah. Young Fellini's here. We got a uh, <laughs> hand of God. <laughs> we love Young Fellini. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think that's. There's a few others that are just like, sort of smaller. Uh, movies. Was there anything else that you wanted to shout out? No, not really. Yeah, it's a we're going off of deadline article. It's an interesting lineup. You should look into it yourself a bit. But uh, it seems to be yes, just a this is a combination of like stuff, some buzzy stuff that is played other festivals, interesting documentaries, and yeah, big like awardsy premieres that seems to just be here. 
which is like the other big um, documentary is the Elizabeth Chai, Vasarhely, and Jimmy Chin, which are they did Free Solo, and it's the rescue, and it's about the people who get stuck in that cave in Thailand, and the guys who went down to rescue them. Wow. How much Elon Musk yeah. do you think is going to be in that documentary? I mean, I was thinking about it. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's probably part of it. I mean, I'd rather it not uh, be, but I guess it has to be. Sorry. Yeah, I know. He was, I mean, he really tried to make himself a main character there. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it. We'll uh, leave you back with the rest of the regular episode. Yeah. Which is now you'll hear the intro again. <laughs> yeah, we'll hear the intro again by Jesse as we talk about the films of Mike White with the excellent Joe Reed. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Catherine Weber, and I'm joined by... Andy Gramuga. Number one, Ned Neely Stan, Cullen <laughs> Ashley. Emilio Diaz. All right. Today we are talking about uh, Mike White and his yeah. uh, uh, run of film festival films, as well as maybe uh, a little bit on some stuff that didn't play film festivals. Uh, obviously, we were somewhat motivated by uh, the recent airing and popularity of The White Lotus. And we yes. are joined by the co-host of This Had Oscar Buzz, Joe Reed. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yes. We're, we're so excited to have you back. Yeah. I was like, I was, I will say I was the primary like motivated person. Cause I was like on white Lotus train from day one. Yeah. And, like I got really excited for, about it. And I no. was like, yeah. Can you believe it? Andy got us to watch HBO. Like <laughs> 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 75% of his personality. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Um, but yeah, but then I was like, Oh, we should do like a Mike white episode. He's like had an interesting mm-hmm. trajectory in terms of yeah. like his, his artistic work and stuff. And I thought of uh, and I thought of Joe because I know Joe has spoken fondly of many of his films. On, I on do, various. I do really like Mike White, and and sort of, especially now in this sort of latter stage. I don't mm. want to say. I guess latter is not the right word, but more recent stage of his career. I don't want to cut sure. him off before he's uh, yeah. he's done. But um, especially, I would say in the last maybe five to eight years, he's mm-hmm. he's been doing some work that is really really. Uh, resonated with me even maybe more so than his beginnings which is very exciting to see somebody sort of mm-hmm. uh, coming into his own and I only kind of mean his performance on Survivor which was right I, I mean yeah. you're a, yeah you're Wonderful. a big uh, Survivor fan I know he should have won that's I, I I'm just gonna throw that out there he deserved <laughs> to win and I'm sad that he didn't but anyway um, yeah I think, uh, yeah, we were talking a little bit before that last time you were on, uh, we just, we did a draft and we got straight into it. Um, but yeah. this time, uh, we are asking everyone these days, what experience, uh, you have with film festivals? Uh, that's a good question. I've been to, so I've been to some, but not like, I've never been to Sundance, which I feel like sort of separates mm-hmm. me from a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, covering movies. I feel like, um, that's a big one for people. Sundance beyond the fact that I've just never uh, applied for it, but it always comes at the exact worst time of the year for somebody like me who covers the awards race so heavily. Like Sundance is always happening right in the thick of all of that to the point where I'm always just like, oh right, Sundance is happening. Like it kind of sneaks up on me. (laughs) Um, The first film festival I ever 
attended or uh, covered was the Tribeca Film Festival in 2013 because I was freelancing wow. for Tribeca Film uh, at that moment, uh, working on their website. And so I got the like, can go anywhere, do anything pass. And I was a full-time freelancer, so I didn't really have anywhere to be during the day. So I could just like spend the entire day like kind of bouncing from, and at that point, all pretty much all of the Tribeca screenings were held at the one movie theater on 23rd Street in New York. So I was just like bouncing around all day from like theater to theater, checking out sort of like stuff that like I had never really even heard of. I could really sort of like follow hunches and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. and I went to, you know, talks and, you know, just like a bunch of different things that year. And there was still sort of like kind of big thing, like before Midnight was the one sort of major one that was playing there. It had played mm -hmm. Sundance and I was of course like incredibly interested to see that. Yeah. But um, there was some like cool little smaller stuff that I had seen. And so I covered Tribeca for a few years after that, never quite on that like awesome, you know, uh, Hudson Pass that I was on. But, uh, <laughs> and then I covered New York Film Festival, which never quite seems like New York covering New York Film Festival always just seems like I'm going to a lot of screenings. I'm just going <laughs> to a lot of like movie screens. Mm -hmm. It's like because it's so spread out, it takes it's, you know, from the first press screenings to the last public screenings, it's like it feels like it goes on for eight weeks. And, um, so it never quite feels like this sort of compact little like I'm away at a film festival thing. And part of it is that I also live in New York City. Yeah. Um, Toronto is the big one for me, though. Toronto's mm -hmm. the one that I love. Toronto's the one that feels like movie camp to me. And I started going there in 2014 and obviously uh, had to miss last year because of the right. pandemic. And then this year I'm going to be covering it digitally. I sort of flirted uh, with the idea of going in person. And I think logistically, the idea of maybe uh, blowing a positive COVID test on my way back and being stuck in Ontario for 10 extra days, I was like, that's a hassle I don't want to have to deal with. So um, I'm going to cover it digitally. And hopefully I'm going to sort of cross all my fingers and toes that next year it'll be back to some semblance of normalcy because yeah. I miss it. I really do yeah. look forward to it all year. So it's going to yeah. be a bummer to me to miss it two years in a row. Had you gone every year since 2014? Yes, 2014. Wow. I uh, I applied very very late, and I was denied accreditation. Mm -hmm. They <laughs> gave me like vouchers. They gave me like five vouchers, and I was like, okay. okay. Um, and so what I did though was I was in a very advantageous sort of expense uh, situation at the job that I was at. So I bought like. 20 public tickets and uh, yeah. expensed them and just sort of like just went on on public screenings and with a few like you know used the vouchers for a few private screenings uh, mm -hmm. here and there I remember I saw um I forget what was the movie where I like ran you're always seeing stuff late when you're on vouchers because you're in the standby line the whole time um but then yeah. every year after that second year they tried to not accredit me again <laughs> and I literally I emailed them back and I argued my way into full accreditation which I felt <laughs> wow. and literally all it took was me being like really I'm, and, and they were like oh okay fine um uh so I, that sort of was a lesson for me going forward. It's just like, you know, don't take no for an answer. And yeah. so, uh, but yeah, I had, had covered it every year since then. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's great. Like I said, it's like movie camp. But part of it is seeing all the movies in such a short period of time. Part of it is that there's so many movies to choose from, so everybody's Toronto experience is a little bit different, which I also yeah. love, because it makes right. it fun to talk to other people then and just be mm-hmm. like, what have you been seeing? What have you seen? And then also it's just like seeing all my friends and meeting new yeah. people. And, um, and yeah, it's like super fun. All right. Um, so let's get it. Let's get into Mike White. So, uh, Mike White. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, it's he's such an interesting figure because, like, yes, he, like, he he comes up in TV, right? He like starts like he's. I guess he's in Dawson's the Dawson's Creek writers' room. I'm not familiar with any of his Dawson's Creek work specifically, um, but I do. But then he writes on Freaks and Geeks. Which is like right. very notable, right? Like Kim Kelly is my friend. I think is like is like the fourth episode of Freaks and Geeks. That's like a pretty yeah. Well, that's definitely episode. the first time I remember hearing his name was in yeah. conjunction with Freaks and Geeks. And yeah. he has like sole writing credit on that episode. Yeah. Um. And then he has the movie Dead Man on Campus that he's like a co-writer on. Right. And yeah. then his first festival movie is the very memorably titled titled Chuck and Buck. Uh, Chuck and Buck. Um, which you know is an incredibly striking title. It's it's um yes. it was a Sundance movie. Uh, it came out like during the middle of Freaks and Geeks. Like the yeah. Freaks and Geeks mm-hmm. had premiered the previous fall, um, uh, and Chuck and Buck was that January, um, it, that that Sundance that January. Um, it's and that, his first yeah. yeah go ahead. It start that starts the collaboration with Miguel Arteta, who's the director right. yes. who has directed the most of his scripts, uh, other than. Yeah, uh, the most of his movie scripts, even counting him. Uh, yes. Yeah. But yeah. Yes, that's true. And that was like it was very it was it was well received at Sundance, right? It, like yeah, yeah. Um, it that won, was one of the yeah. big sort of like indie like I I've gotten sort of obsessed with watching uh, old Independent Spirit Award ceremonies mm, on YouTube because okay. they're there. You can watch like entire indie spirit award ceremonies and so much fun um especially if perhaps you're in a quarantine situation yeah, where yeah. you have a whole lot of time on your hands um so i watched a lot of that over uh, over uh, pandemic and i've i was struck primarily by the fact that especially in the like late 90s and early 2000s which is where i watched from the time period where i watched a lot of these the indie film community felt very much like a community mm. felt very much <laughs> like it's the same people working with each other and you were sort of, that was the sphere that you were in. And some people broke out of it, but not very many, like not everybody could. And it felt like the line between indie and studio stuff was a lot uh, more defined back then. And Mm -hmm. now I think you see people sort of like go back and forth, primarily because indie these days just means like not big action right. blockbuster like yeah, everything yeah, that yeah. isn't an action blockbuster is an indie and mm-hmm. so and all the indie studio uh, indie houses right. are sort of like owned by the main studios now so i mean yeah um, they are netflix yeah. right yeah, exactly. amazon right. i remember like manchester <laughs> right. by the sea at the right. spirit awards but back then was sort of this like small little sliver of time where the sort of the indie revolution of the 90s kept to itself a little bit and so i remember chuck and buck being like very very celebrated within that sphere and mike white in particular became a person who was very uh very much prominent within that community yeah yeah there's a video uh, of like one of those like annie Leibovitz like actors just talking about like performances they, they like video and there's one of uh 
Jeff Bridges talking about Chuck and Buck, and he's like, Chuck and Buck, man, I love it. He's like, Mike White, that guy's so good. Because right. they're like talking about like their favorite performances ever, oh and that's God. the one he singles out. And I was like, what is Chuck and Buck? Like, that's I had never heard of it. Yeah, um, that's like, yeah, Jeff Bridges is officially named Mike White's performance in Chuck and Buck the best of the two thousands. Like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, very cool. I like that. Yeah, um, yeah. So that movie wins. Uh, best feature under five hundred thousand at the Independent Spirit Awards. Yep. Cassavetti's uh, award, right? Uh, I believe it's now since been renamed that. Okay. Uh, okay, but it was not at the time. And then White gets nominated both for his performance in that movie and for his screenplay. And Arteta gets directed. It gets nominated. And I think there's like one other nomination for like supporting actress or something. Yeah. Um, his next movie he writes is Orange County, uh, which is his first like big public collaboration with Jack Black, who he would later go on to form a production company with, uh, is directed by Jake Kasdan. Uh, and then we arrive at the first movie that we all watch for today, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The Good Girl, which is another Sundance, it's another Sundance movie, it's another Arteta collaboration, um, and, and yeah. Before we, we, we jump into Good yeah. Girl, can I just pot, like make half sure. a second just to recognize Pasadena, because I know I'm the only person oh, who sure. probably watched Pasadena. <laughs> That's and, true. Like, it's such an odd little quirk in his, uh, in his CV, because it feels right. like it's the least seemingly like a Mike White thing yeah. on the surface because it's this like, it wanted to be this like primetime soap and the cast of it is like really, really fascinating. It's like Alison Lohman and mm-hmm. Dana Delaney and Martin Donovan and Balthazar Getty and right. um, Natasha Gregson Wagner, I think is in it. And it premiered, it was that fall of 2001 where the whole fall season was sort of delayed by a few weeks because of September 11th. Mm-hmm. And I remember I covered a lot of those fall premieres. I had just started one of my very first sort of non-paid writing gigs right out of college was I was writing for this like newsletter. And I was just like, I would just like contribute TV stuff to this newsletter. <laughs> yeah. And um, and I remember writing about a lot of those. So like Undeclared, I think was that fall. Wow. And, okay. um uh, Pasadena was definitely one of the things, and obviously 24 and Alias, mm-hmm. those were the sort of two of the big, bigger ones. But Pasadena was a show that like never really caught on and mm-hmm. kind of bounced around the schedule a little bit, but I always really liked it, and I was just like, give it a chance, give it a chance. And the fact that it was Mike White, the guy from you know yeah. Chuck and Buck, I was like, it was it was you know interesting. But right. it's now I think in the light of things like White Lotus, Beatrice at Dinner, things like that. Yeah. Uh, it feels like, oh, Mike White exploring the sort of like ins and outs of this like disgustingly rich family. I'm like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. that also that makes sense. That makes sense. Right, that track. Mm-hmm. And also, no, I believe that's the show where he like has a nervous breakdown, right? Which like leads to his mm-hmm. what he draws on for enlightenment later. Right, right. Um, yeah. uh, yes. So, yeah, right. Then the good girl, Miguel Arteta, yes. plays at Sundance. Uh, Jennifer Aniston like looking to like have a breakout movie right is like sort yeah. of the 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 mark on that one going into it is like yeah is she and the reviews are star? heavily heavily that like the reviews yes. really really lean heavily on it's jennifer aniston like you've never seen her before and um obviously friends <laughs> was still happening then so right. she was yeah. still very very much like in the thick of that so yeah that was definitely um the the thrust of the reviews of that and to I think, d- to degrees to which I agree with and kind of disagree with, I've mm-hmm. never been the biggest fan of The Good Girl, and I was sort of hoping watching it again that I would like right. it a lot better. And I, it's I feel kind of the same way. I think it got. I don't want to be like it got a lot of credit for you know X Y and Z and sort of like you know, throw shade on people who liked it because if you liked it, like awesome. 
but I feel like there was a lot of it got a lot of credit for being like Jennifer Aniston sort of going low charisma on it and sort of doing <laughs> a lot of frowning. And right, yeah. I think she does that better. We covered um, Friends with Money, the Nicole Holofcener movie. See, this is yes, yeah. For our podcast for this had Oscar buzz. And I was like, this is this is the Jennifer Aniston movie yes. that I think a lot of people took the good girl for. And mm. th- that one I definitely prefer her sort of being going kind of downbeat for. And it's surprising yeah. that like she got a lot of attention for the good girl and then later she got a lot of attention for cake. And like right. I think Friends with Money is <laughs> the sweet spot. <laughs> and um for whatever reason, that didn't get her as much attention, which is kind of too bad. Yeah, the line to draw between Mike White and Hall of Center, because we just did an episode on right. three of her movies, um, and Friends of Money wasn't one of them, but I like watched them all in yeah. the lead up, and because uh, like they're both sort of like the Sundance darlings, like in my mind, I think of like um, yeah. like Good Girl and all the you know Hall of Center movies. Good Girl and um, Lovely and Amazing were the same year, and I yes. bet you that Lovely and Amazing was at Sundance that year. I yeah, I, I believe yes. so. Yep. Um, and I mean, also the line to draw there with Gyllenhaal and these sort of right, right. bizarre yes. performances. Yes. Um, yeah. Totally. What did we and, think of Jake Gyllenhaal in the culture, according to? I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, he was like everybody's favorite creep, creep boy. Mm-hmm. Like that was kind of yeah. his his niche. Um, and I don't really like the good girl at all. I feel like it's an iconic, uh, you know, movie rental store cover. That like mm-hmm. I'm a yeah. kid and I see yeah. her like pouting on right. the cover and like the all the vests. squares, like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always like, I'm like, this movie, I'm not an adult, I can't watch this. <laughs> like, I feel like that movie and uh, like Igby goes down are Which like also in OG. my head yeah. as yep. like my parents watch this. It's not for me. <laughs> like I can't watch these movies. Um, and watching it, it feels so like. Obviously, it comes at a time where, like, the Sundance movie is, like, still, I guess, developing as, like, a thing to make fun of. Um, yeah, but it, it feels, feels very like Sundance a one. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. like, the sort of, you know, southern accent thing and, like, all yes. that feels so <laughs> just, like, annoying. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, what, I'm I, also... what I said, I think, in our group chat uh, immediately about the accent, and I think even in that voiceover at the beginning of the movie she does make like some kind of comparison aphorism that involves some kind of candy and life and i was like oh this is like 10 percent of the way to forrest gump (laughs) yeah and it's like less of a thing to sort of just like i'm not like making fun of the accents um but like that sort of pastiche like put on it feels like oh this is like we're getting to like the real like this is america like uh, I feel yeah. like other movies of the time to like compare like Junebug or right, you know the David Gordon Green, which is weird. Like Zoe Deschanel as like she's in all the Real Girls and this mm-hmm. yep. as this weird like Southern indie darling, right? Yeah. Um, but I just it's so like none of the characters I think are good, <laughs> and it feels like so yeah. circumstantial to everything. That I'm just like, okay, this is happening. Like, sure, like let's just keep watching the movie. Yeah. And then it ends, and I'm like, oh, okay, that was it. I just don't care. Yeah. yeah. I don't love the voiceover in this, but it did yeah. make me think of voiceover in Mike White movies in exactly. a sort of holistic yeah. way mm-hmm. because you see it. We'll talk about it when we talk about Brad status, and mm-hmm. it's definitely a huge part of Enlightened. Yes. And, mm-hmm. um, 
And he uses voiceover in a really kind of interesting way that in that like, it's not like unreliable narrator voiceover, but it's like unreliable tone narrator a little bit where like, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we are not in the audience supposed to take in the world of the good girl in the same way that like her voiceover does. And like, that's definitely the case Mm -hmm. in Brad's status. And that's definitely the case in enlightened. I think a lot Mm -hmm. of what I love about enlightened is actually the dissonance between her voiceover and then what she does in her real life. That's kind of a point to me of enlightened. So I liked thinking about the good girl in conjunction with those other movies. Yeah. I was thinking the exact same. Like I totally see the seeds here of like, what's going to go on, like what's going to happen in enlightened with his use of voiceover and like the tension that he's able to wring out of that, of like having that, like that, like the level of like self delusion in the voiceover and like that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. Like I think is Mm -hmm. like very interesting, like, and how these characters are viewing themselves as characters in a movie, but they're viewing themselves as characters in a different movie than the movie yes. that you're watching. Yes, I, I think, think that's very, very is yeah. is uh, is very is very fascinating. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I sort of agree that this is like the 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 weakest of the movies that we watched today. I I um, I, I did really like Zoe Deschanel in it. I thought she was like very funny. I did too. Um, I mean, her, yeah, she's got a good bit of her, like, yeah, her <laughs> thing of like yeah. just like saying insulting things to them and then being like, "What do you mean?" Yeah. Like when they are like, <laughs> uh, is I think really really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's like it's ever like it's it's just this one I think is just like a little too dour. I think is, is that be the word that I would use. That was kind of exactly my feeling. Is just like the well, I guess. Not, maybe similarly, my feeling was, like, the the events that are happening in the film are, like, super heightened in the way that, like, a lot of his other stuff is heightened. But it's not at all stylistically heightened in the way that, like, kind of peaks when you get to White Lotus, where it's like, this is a super heightened show, but, like, also he is, like going off and doing all this stuff with the score and the cinematography and the editing and it's just like to watch like all this bizarre ridiculous stuff happened and just played like super kind of straight-faced and dour like Andy was saying it just like it didn't totally work for me and like the as Colin was saying about the accents like none of them are like especially good I don't think any of them are like ruinous but like no it is like if they were not thinking so much about doing these accents, would they be able to think more about giving an interesting performance? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just feels like another thing to do. Like it's also just like caricature-y more than charactery. Like, oh, yeah. I'm like the quirky like makeup lady, and I, you know, I'm your friend's be- your husband's best friend who smokes weed, and I like scream at my dog. Like right. it's all just yeah. like you know you know hat on a hat yeah sort of thing. i mean this one suffered because i just like i took a weird path to watching all of the stuff we have to watch for today and th- so it was the last thing i watched so I, it was for yep. sure it was like i ended up watching it being like yeah i saw all of this already be like all of these ideas be executed better in the other things we watched mm-hmm. so like yeah. even th- the parts of this movie that are interesting like its perspective like you mentioned with the voiceover and what it's doing it, it just like didn't really land for me. Like I agree, that Chanel is good. 
I mean, yeah. John, John C. Riley, I think, is giving a decent performance, but he, it, yeah, it's, I mean, it's also like he's giving like 19 of those performances. So yeah, it's yeah. Like, this is the big John C. Riley year. This is the one where oh, he's right. in oh. the Best Picture nominees. He's in Chicago Jeez. and The Hours and Gangs of New York. He's in also this. He gets a Indie Spirit nomination for this. Like, right. it's, that's it's so sure. funny. It <laughs> is. Yeah, yeah. It's the big John C. <laughs> Riley year. Yep. Yeah. 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 And I don't. It's like. I what the through line I see through his work is like this exploration of like the line between what is being selfish and what is making a decision for as as to what is the best for you, and yeah. I think at, as in terms of all of these, this might be, it's like on paper the most interesting because of all of the things like the character has to balance, and if like I think if I read it as a, as a script and you told me it was supposed to be a little funny, I might find it very interesting, but the way upon it which. It was executed, as you said, like in this dour sort of manner. Just didn't, yeah. did not do mm. it for me. Yeah, and then like, yeah, just the the way it, it is, just so like dour is the great word for it because it's like gray looking. <laughs> um, which I don't, I mean, is maybe a choice. Maybe just like I've not seen Chuck and Buck. I think the only other Arteta I've seen is Youth and Revolt, <laughs> and uh, it is just like this thing of. It is all gray, and everyone is, like, sad. Um, yeah. But they're doing these, like, almost, like, insufferably quirky things. Like, oh, I changed my name to Holden because I love Catcher in the Rye. It's like, right. cool, man. Why don't you, like, be interesting? <laughs> I mean, I think the, the script at least feels aware of that. The fact that it it forces him to be like, well, my name's not really Holden. It's Tom, but I gave myself the name Holden. Like, yeah. the script knows how sort of, you know insufferable he is and sort of not even insufferable just sort of pitiable i think um and so at least like i can at least hold on to that like the movie doesn't really like doesn't think a whole lot of holden but i don't think the movie thinks yeah. a whole lot of any of its characters and i think that's right. a thing that mike white's movies later in his career i think is a great asset to him is that even in a show like The White Lotus, where everybody is, like, the whole point of The White Lotus, I feel like, is, like, everybody's objectively awful. But he still finds things within them that are interesting and worth paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And, worth like, he's never a guy, especially later in his career, who will throw a character out of just, and sort of write them off as just, like, well, they're not sort of worth my time. And um, I like that about him. And yes. I'm not sure he had quite gotten there yet. And I think there's a little bit of that in School of Rock, too. But I'll, I'll talk about that, too. Sure. Yeah. I don't disagree. Um, I, I don't want to get... I mean, we all watch White Lotus. Um, like, I think Jesse, Emilio, and I all watched it, like, after it had ended for this. Just, like, yeah, six hours. Like, that's easy to do. Yeah. And I like it. I think it's very, like, entertaining and engaging. It's, like, not my favorite Mike White thing, because School of Rock is, like, we'll get to it. But I think that's, like, a truly perfect object. And... Yeah. Um, the problem that I was having with it uh, is a similar problem that I have with like Ruben Ostland and like specifically the square <laughs> where I'm like this is like an interesting idea of like observing this like asshole who is like let me talk to ma- the manager and like the Jake Lacey character or like yeah. uh, the you know the, the, the daughters of this like you know billionaire CEO or whatever Connie Britton is like I'm like, on the surface, this is an interesting idea, and I just don't know, like, how deep he's going with any of it. Like, I am was struggling, like, like how much credit do I give Mike White? Like, 
is it a commentary that he's not going deep? Is he like doing that on purpose? Like, because I've not seen Enlightened. I've like I'm very like unfamiliar with his work. But as I'm watching it, I'm I am like it, it's fun and I think it's good and I think it's well acted. Um, and I like Jesse was saying about the sort of uh, the way it looks is very interesting and the sort of score that gives everything this sinister tone I think works really well. Yeah. But like on the character level, I'm like I do, like everything that happens in the end like isn't surprising to me because like i see these characters just doing that because of like everything else they've done it just is like yeah i would have expected that like not that it needs to be surprising but it just fell into like i was maybe yeah. prepared to be like super excited by it where i just was like yeah this is good not to be the annoying like it's the notes they're not playing kind of person but <laughs> yeah, like please. i think i think a lot of the things that i liked about the white lotus was the fact that a lot of that did seem intentional. The fact that these characters ultimately end up where you think they would end up at the beginning, but in the middle of it, you do feel like you're you're being sort of pulled along for a ride. You do feel like Rachel's going to end up getting away from him, and the fact that she ends up back with him is a gut punch, but I think it should be. And I think a lot of what he's going for, in my mind, in The White Lotus, is, is like, how do people end up this way? How do people... Even, you know, if they might start off as well-meaning or they might have good intentions or they're not like, you know, they're not born this way. How do, you know, rich, entitled people, people of privilege end up behaving in this way? And I think if you like you look at Jake Lacey and then but the fact that you see his mom and the fact that you see like the parents of these other children and it's just like it's it's you know, it's learned, it's nurtured, it's you know, this is it's cultivated and um, I think that to me is really interesting beyond the fact of just sort of the surface level pleasures of like the way he writes people's motivations as like just these like small little moments of character revealing themselves and like Jennifer Coolidge I think you know very very early on where Jennifer Coolidge's character is going to end up in this and you want to you still want to you know he still has sympathy for her and I think you as a TV viewer you go in and you're just like well you know she's you know feeling all sorts of down about her mom and she's you know kind to this person she shows kindness to natasha rothwell's character so you want to think the best of her and you you know you want to really like her but like i think from the very beginning you know she's going to pull away that offer to finance mm-hmm. her thing right. and it's just yeah. like and it's just getting there and um i don't know i really really liked it one of my favorite tv shows of this year i would say yeah yeah i mean what i what i enjoyed about white lotus is is, is, is like I think what I appreciate the approach because I feel often when people try to make like a oh why are rich people bad or like why are white people bad sort of thing that I feel right. like directors often feel like they have to tip their hand or like tip the scales so you like get it and I feel like the trick yeah. that ultimately it pulls is just being like no you knew exactly how bad they were from the beginning we are both yeah. mm-hmm. n- we both have no interest in redeeming them or like pushing them into a into a situation in which they're like villainous they are just right. bad people and there are a bunch of bad people in the world and they exist and they do bad things <laughs> like this every day mm-hmm. yeah um yeah well i mean the other thing that i like really responded to in the white lotus was like the juxtaposition of those people and that environment that they were in right and like yeah. the white oh, lotus right. like being so like the whole story of it being like hbo being like 
you got anything we can shoot like in a, in Hawaii? Right. Like we've quick, got Hawaii. Like what can you yeah. do there? <laughs> like and he was like, sure, I'll write a first draft or whatever. And like that, he, yeah. like he said, like basically everything is basically a first draft of White Lotus, which I think is like pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Um, but like the way that yeah, it is those people in that environment, and like the way that it it, it like it uses the music and the cinematography and like just like the beautiful setting to like contrast with those characters and to show like, you know, I, I just like, I think that that tension there like is is maybe doing that like layer deeper that you're looking for for me, call it. Like, like I don't I, like something about that I think is like really like what makes that show like one of my favorite things of like the year so far. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, that's the point where I maybe slightly disagree because it's like, that's the that's the like issue I take with it a little bit and like a lot a lot of stuff that I'm watching these days where it's just like I think it is a very keenly observed like like drama about these people and how they like torture each other and how they are like the reasons why they are bad and the things that they do that are bad but mm -hmm. it like as you said the rest of it is an environment and like there are characters there is maybe another perspective there that should be treated as like something beyond just an environment that I don't think the show ever really like yeah. pulls the trigger on doing. Yeah. yeah. And like in the square, <laughs> there's this scene where a guy like runs up and it's like, this woman's like yelling at this guy, like help me. This guy's coming after me. And, uh, the like plot, as it goes, it's like the guy gets his wallet stolen and it was like a sting operation by these like three people. But there's this moment of like uh, pure like uh, adrenaline connection between these two guys and they're just like screaming and like shaking each other because they both like saved this woman or whatever. And I'm like, oh, this movie is going to be great. And then like it never goes any deeper than that. And I'm like, oh, like I understand like the sort of basic observation about like masculinity here. And I, I just feel that with White Lotus. And, like, to a lesser extent, Brad said is because I ended up more on the side of that one. Uh, and we'll get to it, obviously. But, like, with White Lotus, it's, like, the character in the first episode, the pregnant woman. It's, like, we're never going to go back to this. Like, this is what it, like, what, the, the, it's all inside. I mean, that the, was kind you know, of literally, I mean, reading the interview, it was literally just, like, we can't go back to her. She's at the hospital and we can't leave this hotel I guess, because I mean, of the yeah, way I guess that we're so. shooting it. Uh, I mean, my thing it is like my thing yeah. about White Lotus is like, yeah, I kind of agree that like under the hood, it's like there's some interesting ideas, but it's not 100% working for me. But like, you know, if I were to say, you know, it's super entertaining and watchable, it would sound like I'm damning it with faint praise. But like, <laughs> you could go watch like 15 hour and 45 minute movies in a theater that are not as easy to watch as this six hour yeah. thing so like yeah. you know yeah. yeah but there's like the big scene that I like had this sort of revelation on in White Lotus is uh, the like dinner scene between like Steve Zahn and like their kids and Connie Britton where they're like going back and forth and they're like talking about their politics and like yeah. what you know Cindy Sweeney's friend means to Steve Zahn like does he like know anything about right. her and I'm like the layers to it I'm like tr maybe like trying to pull back too many where it's like is Mike White like on the side of Connie Britton and Steve Zahn no because he's like writing 
the city Sweeney. Like, obviously, he's got this, like, perspective. But then it's, like, are they being played as a joke here? <laughs> like, what is the commentary on yeah. in, like, a way that is, like, probably annoying for me to be, like, oh, like, let me pull back all the layers of this onion. <laughs> yeah. And I think I had the advantage of having watched so much Mike White stuff, especially yeah. so much recent stuff, is if, like... I came in with a level of trust with him that like, if you yeah. don't have that level of trust with him, I can totally, I can see coming at the white Lotus with a lot more skepticism and, you know, and that's, you know, something that I can't really, you know, separate myself from. Yeah. But, sure. Yeah. I think there's definitely an argument to be made that like the show needs to, you know, establish that trust on its own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he did that uh, big Vulture interview where he kind of admitted, like, yeah, there are parts of this story that, like, I'm not really the person to tell, and I hope that the people who are the people to tell get to tell it, but, like, I am telling what I fear prepared to tell and doing the things that I hope are important to the extent that I can, and I'm like, is that... You know, like, basically saying, like, is this, like, perfect? No, but, like, I think as, like, if you're taking it as, like, this is the thing that Mike White made, I think he made a really good thing. Yeah. And, I mean, it is, and that's like, the yeah. good girl. <laughs> sure, right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, I guess we'll maybe touch on White Lotus a little bit when we come to it in the timeline again, just as far as, like, what it means for, like, what's next or whatever. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, I do think, like... Because the other thing about that we haven't really talked that much about with Good Girl is Arteta. And, like, Arteta is, like, a somewhat interesting figure. I can't say I'm super familiar with his non-Mike White work. He, like, mostly... I mean, it's a fascinating career. Yeah. Yeah. He, he like, has done a ton of TV. But yes. he also seems to have, like, mostly made, like, some, like, indie movies, like, with Mike... Mostly with, with Mike White. A couple without... And then, like, studio-ish comedies. Like, stu like, broad comedies are, like, the other things that it seems like is what he makes. Or, like, which yeah. is just, like, an interesting stuff. career. Yeah. 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 Especially um, recently. Right. Because he, like, did, like, he did uh, Yes Day, right, for Netflix, the Jennifer Garner. Yeah, and he did and uh, like Alexander and the like boss, yeah. No Good, Horrible, right. Very Bad Day. And yet, in the midst of all of that is, like, a movie like Duck Butter, which is, like, so right. the total, you know, opposite end of that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, he's, he's like, yeah. Fascinating. Right. He's the hardest person to get a read on, I feel like, out of, like, yeah, all yeah. of this. Of, like, what's he, what's he into? Um, but, yeah. Uh, he uh, he directed The Good Girl. And so, moving on to our next... I'm like, no one else had any other thoughts about The Good Girl, right? I mean, um, my own... I mean, I was go gonna ahead, go say ahead. about Arteta, it's like yeah. My I I would just kind of say like, clearly he is, uh, or what it was uh, I was gonna say like I does he work as a film director like I, I guess I've only re I guess the only movies I've seen are, this and uh, Beatrice at Dinner which we'll get to but I don't think is especially good so like, and like none of his other movies have exceptional reputation so it is kind of like is does he generally do something great when he's given a whole movie no but like i know i think i didn't get all the way through enlightened because i got distracted but his enlightened episodes are good and like his yeah succession episode yeah. is like probably my favorite succession oh. episode of the first season he sure. did i mean the, that makes sense yeah 
that he would do succession because like most of yeah. his enlightens are a lot of the more like corporate world ones. right like, he in, did in well no one. but he did the the family therapy succession is the one he did oh, okay oh that's interesting yeah um yeah, my like closing thought on the good girl is the scene that I think got the biggest laugh out of me is when the dog pulls Tim Blake Nelson's blanket off of him <laughs> when he's like outside yelling and it's just like it was just a very funny like sight gag of him like mm-hmm. naked freaking out. And like when he's yelling at the dog like bits get in your corner or whatever. It's like it's yeah, a bit of an easy good. easy joke but I thought it was good. It made me laugh Tim yeah. Blake Nelson. Yeah. I mean, um, oh, and I, he is also Mike White's in it. Like he's in right. all. Yeah, he things. plays. He's, he's in all. Yeah. He plays a cop, or like or a, security a security guard. guard. He's a Christian. Yeah, um, he's like yeah. very religious. Which, like every, yeah, I mean, it is all just so like yeah. caricature. I mean, well, his well, his dad was like a, like he, like a ghostwriter for televangelists. Like so, he like his kind dad's of a that world, fascinating person. Right. Yeah, I remember I studied him in college, not knowing who he was. I had a, I took a college class where my professor had us read some of his uh, writings because of you know the fact that he went from being a Jerry Falwell ghostwriter to then coming out to then sort of talking about how to sort of um, reconcile this idea of right. being, a, being a Christian while also being gay. And then it was years, years later before, I think when they went, went on The Amazing Race together was right. when I put together <laughs> that like, oh, so he's, funny. he's Mike White's dad. And <laughs> that was, you know, blew my mind. Yeah. You know? Yeah, his, I mean, <laughs> the reality show aspect of it is so fascinating <laughs> to me that he's like, yeah, I want to be on The Amazing Race. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, it's not I'm... and it's not a joke. It's not a bit. It's not yeah. a, a, like I'm doing research for a film, even though I think there were a couple parts in White Lotus where I was like, that's a that's a survivor thing. Like, that's a <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but then uh, the survivor thing is like he was friends with Jeff Probst and he like watched the show religiously. He's like, I like the show. I want to be on the show. <laughs> and he like gave them no, like this is all like, you know, very cursory, like Wikipedia research. But he like told Jeff Probst like, oh, you guys should do this. Like and, the, and they like put it into effect in some season. I've never seen Survivor, but like. Uh, and then he, I remember, like, when he was on it, there was, like, a big, like, internet sort of hullabaloo. Like, yeah, it's Mike White. He's done, like, Amazing Race. Yeah, he did and Amazing then, Race uh, twice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, because yeah. he came back. <laughs> yeah, he came back for an All-Star um, season. He was that – they were that popular his first season. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, but it's, it's just so funny. Uh, and then, like, I get, like, oh, when he was on Survivor, he's like, yeah, like, I didn't talk to Jeff Ropes the entire time. <laughs> it's like, what a funny – just funny, funny Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Um. Um, yeah. So, the next movie he writes, and the next movie we're going to talk about, is uh, 2003 School of Rock, which is a Richard Linklater film. Uh, it played TIFF. Uh, it's, apparently the origins were Mike White used to be neighbors with Jack Black. Uh, <laughs> he had written Orange County, in which, which Jack Black was in. So they were like buds. And he was like, I, like... Mike White was trying to think of like a Jack Black star vehicle. So he was like, I want to write a movie for you where you'd be a substitute teacher and a frustrated rocker. And like, that's the story. Like, you know, like, like pitching like a straight up like family movie to Jack Black where Jack Black is like a star, is the star. Like, it, yeah. it, it feels like him thinking like pretty commercial minded as far as like thinking like, I'm going to like try to sell this. Like, this is a movie yeah. that we can really mm-hmm. sell which I think is interesting because it's a really great movie, obviously. I mean, it's a like, Totemic masterpiece. Yeah. We have to talk about it. <laughs> yes. I've seen this movie like upwards of 20 times. It was a movie that I would go to sleep to like the commentary as a kid. Um, 
And Which I hadn't one? rewatched it in like 10 Which years. commentary? I mean, well, commentary? here's the thing. There's the commentary with like Linkletter and like maybe Jack Black. Uh, but there's the commentary with all the kids. And I'm like, well, I'm a kid. So I obviously <laughs> listen to this one. And there's like quotes from that specific commentary that are burned into my brain. Um, and like I hadn't watched the movie in like 10 years. So and it had been a thing of like I had wanted to rewatch it. We were talking about doing the Mike White episode. Uh, we almost did like Beatrice at dinner instead of School of Rock, maybe, or instead of Brad Status, maybe. Uh, but it was like up in the air what we were gonna do. And I was like, we gotta do School of Rock, and I rewatched it, and I was like weeping at the end, the, like when I first rewatched it. And I'm like, this thing, like, not only holds up like gangbusters, but I truly think it is like a perfect movie. And then me and Emilio also watched it because because he was like, yeah, I haven't watched it yet, and I was like, I will watch it with you, <laughs> and. Nice. As we're watching it, I mean, Emilio had the commentary of me saying the lines like I, I as they happen or right before. That's so um, But I think it's just perfect. Like something about it. I don't know if it is just that I have watched it so much that is like obviously a factor. But the like alchemy of like it's Richard Linkletter like doing incredible directing work. Like there's the huge like one take scene where he's building the band and like having everyone put the pieces in motion of like what they're playing and it like culminates in this huge guitar solo from Jack Black. But then the end of it, the emotion of them getting the encore, like now I have chills, like thinking about it. It's so, it's such a win of like, they lose the battle of the bands and then, but everyone loves them. So they get the encore and it's just the best. They come out and they sing. It's a long way to the top. If you want to rock and roll (laughs) and the credits go over them singing. it. It's such a brilliant stylistic choice. It's just so good. I mean, I, sorry. I think I only saw this once at some point and then watched it again. And I was, for the first like 10 minutes a little worried and i think that's just because like the mike white sarah silverman stuff for me doesn't that's work. the thing that's the thing yeah. i was gonna mention yeah but yeah and then and, yeah i figured when you were saying he wasn't totally to the treating all of his characters with interest it's, it's the like, only one yeah. it's so it's so jarring to me because it's just like oh this is the one unredeemable character who's just gonna be like yeah. a harping shrew the entire movie and like and that character that type of character feels like such a relic of an era mm-hmm. that we are thankfully past i think like yeah. there's a lot fewer filmmakers will feel like they can get away with a character like that and for good reason um yeah. and it's too bad because it's sarah silverman who i love and yeah. you know could have been you know a much a much more interesting part of the movie i don't know but and yet at the same time this is a movie that has my favorite one of my favorite joan cusack line readings of all time so, is when she says i've just been informed that all of your children are missing and <laughs> yes, it's right. so it's, she delivers it so well. It's She's so there's all, incredible. Like, she is absolutely, like, the outstanding element of the movie to me is her performance. I love I think her, her in the the scene where the, with the Stevie Nicks on the jukebox I mean, is, like, so incredible. Yes. The scene right after that with her in the van where she's, like, a little buzz talking to him is incredible. Yeah. Uh, I just think, like, she is just, like, should have won an Oscar for this performance. <laughs> like, it's such a great performance. <laughs> she's really uh, funny. I think she's the, so wonderful. The bit where she's like consoling the little girl, and she's like, right. "Do you want a hug?" And like, yes, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and she's like, "I'll never be bad." I swear. <laughs> it's so funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think this is this is the consummate 
Jack Black performance for me, though. This I mean, is the one that, like, it's the it's the perfectly calibrated one. Sometimes that's right. Sometimes I get too much Jack Black, and I want I want less. And this mm-hmm. feels like everything that he's giving to this movie is in service of the exact right thing. And um, I think yeah. he's very aware of his character in this and what he sort of how far he can go and when not to go too far. Yeah, and. Yeah. I really like that. I like the way he interacts with the kids. I think it's mm-hmm. really, without mm-hmm. ever being like saccharine, he's able to. I'm surprised they've never done another movie. At least I don't think where he interacts with kids very much because I think it's it's a really. I'm also surprised that Mike White and Richard Linklater had not made another movie. Together I know because yeah. like this was so successful right. and it turned out so well and yeah. it's an interesting. I would have. I don't know if I've read very much about how they got on as creative partners but it yeah. seems like it's a really interesting um i don't know there was like between them. a sequel in development at some point and like yeah. all three of them were still on it black link later yeah. and white and mm-hmm. like i guess black has like given interviews and said like yeah we all like couldn't come to the same page on what we wanted like the sequel mm-hmm. to be yeah. but like I wonder if there was some creative tension there with the three of them. I don't know. Mike White's like sole writer on this movie, which I, I know, feel like is somewhat rare for a movie like this. Yeah. Um, uh, but well, and especially I, for Linkletter, yeah. who tends to be an author on so many of his movies. Like, this yeah, is clearly right. one of his more like, you know, I don't want to say work for hire, but like this is one of his more sort of uh, punch in, yeah. punch out kind of movies. It's I mean, not, it's a family know. movie. Like who knew? Who, no one makes like, family movies Bad News anymore. Bears yeah. like right after it. Right. right. Like, Right, and this is so much better than the bad news. I mean, yeah, that's, like that's the yeah. other thing is like we've seen Linkletter sort of in commercial mode before. We've seen Jack Black in, you know, mm. a top builds. You know, given the reins to the whole movie before, and like this is the best version of all of that kind of stuff to me. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah, yeah. When I was watching it, I was like, "Is this the most successful star vehicle of all time?" It was just <laughs> like that. It's like the. It's maybe like yeah. the best. Like match of like material yes. and the person and like mm-hmm. everybody involved is just like mm-hmm. exactly on right. the right page jack black right. is going big sometimes but it right. like er- it never not works it always is like yeah either charming exactly. or emotionally like successful in the way that he treats the kids it, it's just like it's it's just like yeah. e- exceptional it's like yeah apart right. from like the sarah silverman stuff i think it is like yeah. basically firing on all cylinders mm-hmm. at all times and yeah. I mean, you yeah. do, you do so feel like Dewey's pat like, like I uh, the sequence where he like is giving them the history of rock and is like is finally engaging like on the chalkboard and stuff and is like yeah. oh he knows how to use these tools like when he is engaged and passionate about it I think right. is like such a key to that character of like yeah he like has these passions that he is like very able to share with these kids when he when he's mm-hmm. when he wants to and like he certainly like he just like you know it's all just about like what does he actually care about and I think that's like. The the, right. the 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 perspective the movie has on like yeah like this guy like he can't get a lot of his shit together and like that's yeah. definitely true about him but like look at right. his passions aren't they so beautiful I think is like mm-hmm. such a I great mean, attitude for a kid's movie to have it presses the button of this is a guy who operates a little bit childlike in the mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. without yeah. really pressing that button of just mm-hmm. like he's an innocent soul and the world right. is too like corrupt for him or whatever mm-hmm. and it's yeah. just like no it's not that quite it's not quite that it's not like you know Dewey right. Finn like you know childlike wonder it's right. just like he should mm-hmm. pay his rent like yeah right, like, yeah. right. <laughs> it's exactly yes I think that's, yes um and 
and but it's like but you can see where he would like meet these kids in the middle in a really interesting way and um and all the kids are you know they're not overly I like like iCarly is sort of the most like overly precocious, but like it fits sure. her character really well, yeah, so yeah. it doesn't bother me. Right. When um, she's reading the Jimmy Iovine book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did like that. And she's like, Why is my daughter obsessed with David Geffen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great book. line. That's a good joke. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great line. Yeah. It's so funny. Uh, yeah. And I like and, how they give her that moment of like, I read online what groupies are. I'm yeah. not having this. I was right, like, yeah. like very good. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. To go yeah. to go back a moment, I did look it up and there is as far as I can tell, like one in a tenth mo- other movies where Jack Black worked with kids, which is it's just Goosebumps, and then the Goosebumps sequel he has a cameo, right? In, which okay. I feel like yeah. that first I didn't see the first movie. I feel like it's fairly well liked by the people who saw it. I think so. And like, yeah, because it's weird. He does a lot of like kids movies because it's like right. Yeah, him and Mike White do Nacho Libre, and then it's like right. He does Kung the Panda. Kung Fu Panda movies yeah. and like Gulliver's Travels yeah, right. and like he hosts the Kids' House Choice the Awards a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's like a big Nickelodeon like covered in splat guy. <laughs> like right. that right. is his vibe. You can uh, slime Jack Black any day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, and, and then there's Jablinski Games, his YouTube channel where he games with his children. <laughs> yeah, he's like a Twitch streamer now and like does TikToks. Um, the thing that is like it is such like a perfect piece of writing for someone where like Mike White obviously like right knew his had, had Jack well. Black yeah. in mind uh, and is like writing to all of his strengths mm-hmm. and Jack Black I mean you have to assume that he's given a little bit of liberty to do like his scatting and like <laughs> putting his you know his flourishes like mm-hmm. Christopher walking or racing punctuation yeah Jack Black is like adding like ibbity to every word <laughs> like like um, at some point in the script there's just a part where he's just like do your tenacious D thing and it's just yes, like, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um and it is like I mean <laughs> the movie is just so funny the the band at the beginning like when he stage dives and no one catches him and the then Adam the band Pascal like kicks him out. Adam <laughs> yeah, Pascal like, I know yes <laughs> They're like, you always are trying to stage dive and like you do the back to back thing way too much. It's like annoying. It's like such a funny like complaint. And um, I mean, there's just so many moments like when he is like giving the pep up speech to the girl who's like, I don't think they will like me because I'm fat. And he's like, that is so crazy. Like all these people are great. He's like, look at me. Like you just have to have this confidence. And it's like such a beautiful scene. And the way then, he says, everybody wants to party with Aretha. I love yes. every single time. It's so good. It's such a, like his uh, line deliveries in this are so uh, yeah. memorable and, you know, genuine. I like them. Yeah. And, it, and uh, it's like to tie it to his other work. It's like, obviously there's like the rich kid element and it, and it's interesting that this yeah. is a movie where it's like, he is the star is introduced as the outside element to like influence all of these kids. Like you could see how yes. they, these could all become like the white Lotus kids, but instead they met yeah. Jack Black. So they all like rock and roll music. <laughs> I had forgotten how it ended specifically to a point where when they, when the f- parents start chanting for school of rock to win the battle of the bands, I literally was like, is this a movie where the rich parents of kids like argue their way into their kids winning a battle of the bands? Like, is this like, did they call the manager on this music festival? Like what's going on? Um, and I forgotten that they actually don't win or that it like, they never even say whether they win or not. Like it doesn't matter. And I like that message, but I was like, wait a second. Is this a, is this a secret rich parents, you know, pressing the thumbs yeah. on the scales for their kids movie? I'm like, okay. 
I mean, yeah, I guess that is, like, part of it. I don't really, wasn't really thinking about that, but, like, the whole thing of, like, these rich parents who send their kids to this insanely wealthy school and, like, they're all, like, boring because of it and, like, are told to not, like, have their interests or whatever. Well, they want this, um, like, bespoke education for their kids yeah, where it's just, right. like, this is, we're going to send you to the school and this is what we expect to get out of it. And um, it's sort of, it, it does, you know, in its own little way, push back against that, which... Yeah, and I mean... Know, and, in a very Jack Black way of, like, they're the man! Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it like... The other reason why it works is because it does like it does do some questioning of Joe Bla- Jack Black's character. It, it is like totally like the yeah. b- the beginning is like him being like a little bit too selfish with his band, and then he ha- sort of has to learn to give the kids their own runway because that's like yeah. what's important. Like he does like weirdly there is like an arc to be read here of him learning how to be a teacher as much as it like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, his pedagogical methods at the beginning are certainly very questionable. I <laughs> someone and I did like the part at the end where his old band, like, is, like, enthusing with the kids in a way that, like, they don't have to be, yeah. like, strictly villainized. Like, even right. the, like, you know, douchey torso guy who, like, replaces him. Yeah. Like, it's sort of like he just, like, gets to hit on Joan Cusack at the end. And, <laughs> that's, like, that's cool. Um, yeah. But I like the fact that, like, we don't need to see, like, Adam Pascal, like, his face, like, rubbed in shit at the end of the movie to yeah. you know, feel good about it. Like, they like this band full of kids. Like, yeah. who wouldn't like this band full of kids? Yeah, it's like, yeah. it operates on, like, who wouldn't find this charming, which is, like, a very exactly. good way to find yeah. to operate. And it's also, yeah. and then it has the same ending as Ratatouille, which is always a great ending to have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, it's such a beautiful like a stroke of genius to like have them sing over the credits and be like movies almost over. i was gonna say then you break the fourth wall right at the very end it's yeah, so, good. Like it. it's yeah. so good yeah. um yeah i mean the i do i just i love it and i've seen it so much yeah. um it was like a thing of like oh wow i truly like know every word to this movie yeah. as i was watching it and the um, keyboard player's name is lawrence and i yes. my nephew's name is lawrence and i've always been like what other little kid's name is lawrence like there's a it's, it feels like such an adult's name and then watching this yeah. was like oh, it's another kid named lawrence all right like this is great i mean yeah lawrence is good at piano yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it's them. just the best it's, <laughs> great. it's so yeah good. and it's like maybe like what could be read in as like the link later influence and like is like this sort of feels like the least writery of all of those mike white things we're going to talk about like all of all of the other works we're going to we talk about it's like there is some element of like where you can clearly see somebody playing with like type and somebody like creating these like very specific character types and like then like sort of trying to like dance around them and like sort of defiantly yeah. non like redefine them but it, but this one is the one that most feels like playful and that everybody it's like you just like, sort of get what everybody's deal is without them feeling like there is maybe some like there is some convention being played with it's just like these are just people in this world and it's very funny yeah yeah and there's yeah. like there is a montage over a song like that which doesn't necessarily feel like that Mike Whitey of like like them doing a sequence like that. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, this like also the property has proven pretty durable. They did make a Broadway musical about it. I would be remiss if I didn't even mention it. Uh, it's mm-hmm. ve- it is funny because Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote the music for it, and he uh, so they weird. they use memory as like a joke song. Yeah, that's of, right. Like, yeah. This is she like has a, her, her song. This is a no, annoying song to sing, which I think is. I wonder if like he gave permission and then like 
he saw the movie eventually and was like, oh, I know they're making fun of me, but like, I love this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw the, and the book of the show was written by Julian Fellows, which is always the most hilarious <laughs> yes. thing in the God, world to right. me is that Julian Fellows. Like uh, Down Abbey? <laughs> yeah. Took yeah. the handoff from Mike White and uh, adapted uh, School of Rock for the stage. Uh, I saw the tour, which I think it like, it's not a great show, I don't think, but I do think like watching like the whole the whole thing of the show was like these kids are all really playing the instruments live and i think that yeah. is like okay. yeah. really really fun to see uh if if you get a chance to see a production of it i didn't get to see it but i remember liking the tony awards performance a lot yeah and liking alex brightman at the, on yes. the tony awards a lot yeah yeah i think the guy i saw was the guy who's on um kevin can fuck himself now i think was on oh the, that's interesting um yeah uh, and then there was a Nickelodeon like TV spinoff of it, which I know like nothing about other than that it seemed like a Nickelodeon sitcom. I think the guy who is Dewey Finn in that is like Adam Devine's friend on Righteous Gemstones, um, which I've not seen either show really. <laughs> um, but I do know I was like when I watched the pilot of Righteous Gemstones, I was like, oh, why does this guy look familiar? And I was like, oh right, he's like. Yeah, but it is like a very much like a late 2010s Nick show. If you like look at any still from it, yeah. <laughs> um, and also a fun fact is that this was the highest grossing music themed comedy of all time until it was overtaken in 2015 by Pitch Perfect Two. And then Mike White was like, "Well, I gotta hop on this franchise." <laughs> <laughs> yep, they beat me. So now let me jumped on a Pitch Perfect Three. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Oh, God. <laughs> Anything so next else is Nacho on, Libre. Yeah, anything else in School of Rock? Nacho Libre is his next movie. Uh, a Jared Hess movie, which is another, like, Jack Black star vehicle where they maybe have missed the mark a little bit in terms uh, of, yeah. like, what do people want out of a Jack Black star vehicle? Um, I don't have much to say about this movie unless, uh, except to say that one time several of us were playing a game where we were doing, like, a box office or, like, some, I, like, some uh, box office mojo list or something. And uh, the clue that Cullen gave to try to get us to guess Nacho Libre was that it was the most unique movie of its year. And like that I was the I only clue. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, which uh, I think we got there eventually. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely wasn't something I said and then had to dig my heels in. <laughs> the second yeah. and I had any pushback, I was like, of course I meant that earnestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was Napoleon Dynamite. Everyone had the Napoleon Dynamite fever. Everyone wanted to be in the Hess business. Yeah. Um, I've never made. seen it. I've never seen Nacho Libre. I, wa I, I watched truly. I watched it as a child. Have almost no memory of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember like the ads where he would go like Nacho or whatever, like that. Yeah. Like, I think I saw it. I think there's a lot of fart jokes in it. I think. Yeah. Um, in a movie, <laughs> in a I movie culture where people will have nostalgia for just about anything, I think it's striking that yeah. I've never seen any nostalgia about Nacho Libre and any right. kind of. Former fashion, yeah, yeah. and yes. I mean it's it's like if you if you watch Nickelodeon around that time, you probably watch more like in terms of runtime, you probably watch more time worth sure. of Nacho Libre commercials yeah. than, the, uh, than right. the life of Nacho Libre the film. Yeah, he hosted You Pick Live, I believe, one episode. Sure, I mean also like it, it that is like a lot of very white people making a movie about. Mexican wrestlers, so, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, probably not something we need to necessarily hold up. Um, his next movie, 
uh, his his directorial debut, Year of the Dog, 2007. Uh, it was a blacklist script for a while. Uh, it's another Sundance movie. Um, this is one I haven't seen. I don't really know much about it. I know Molly Shannon is the star. She would go on to become like a recurring collaborator of his because she's in a bunch of his stuff. But yeah, I think it like did okay. Like I, it didn't certainly didn't set the world on fire. But like yeah, I really liked it. It's been a very very long time since I've seen it, but I have really fond memories of it. Um, I'm not strictly speaking a dog person or a pet sure. person. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't, I wasn't really expecting to latch onto it, but like, it's a really, really humane uh, comedy and Molly Shannon's very, very good in it. And her dog's name is pencil and the dog that's dies good. at the beginning of the movie. And that sort of sends her on her um, little journey. But like Laura Dern's really good in it. Regina King is in it. Um, I wish he would work with Regina King again. Like, I feel mm. like she was such a cool little presence in this movie. Um, but like it's Molly Shannon's show, and I, I I should I uh should watch it again. I was sort of bummed. I sort of ran out of time to watch sure. it before uh, this podcast. But I remember really really liking it, and mm-hmm. especially as a directorial debut, I thought it was. I thought he you know made a good showing for himself. Yeah. Nice. Um, my anecdote about Year of the Dog, <laughs> similar to the Jeff Bridges video, is there is an old uh, college humor video where they just did a compilation of hand-drawn block letter movie posters. And it's like from the people who brought you Year of the Dog and Away We Go. Cause it's like this era of, you know, Sundance movie is like all the sort of like playing Edward Sharp over the trailer. Like sure, yes. pencil, pencil drawn uh, yep. movie title. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely feels, it has that sort of Sundancey feel to it. I remember when I was at, um, the Atlantic Wire, and we did the one year where the Sundance lineup came out, and I was like, instead of just like writing about this is this year's Sundance lineup, why don't we do like real Sundance plot descriptions and fake Sundance plot descriptions, <laughs> and we'll see if the readers can play. It's about the difference because like one of my favorite things to do was when Sundance would release their list of titles and synopses, and just like reading just just the synopses of them is just like oh it's a, you know the Sundanceiness of all of them really yeah. like you know, shines through. And I do, I, I love indie films. Like just cause I call something mm-hmm. Sundancey does not mean that I won't end up loving it. Like that's, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, it's, I, I say that with a lot of love, but uh, yeah, you could see where something like Year of the Dog uh, would uh, fit into that wheelhouse. Uh-huh. That does make me think that uh, we, someday we've got to get Mike Ryan on for an abracadabra episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you should. You actually should. That would be a great story to tell. Yeah. Boy. Um, yeah. So, uh, the next, uh, white and film festivals sort of like sub note is that he was on the Sundance jury in 2009, uh, and I guess helped decide that Precious deserved the, the grand jury prize that year. Right. That was um, the Precious year. So, so yeah, that was, that was the next thing. Then Back then when it was his... known as Push, back before sure. it changed its wow. title. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the Chris Evans movie. Because the Chris <laughs> Evans <laughs> movie. That's the great, like, that's one of my favorite little things is, like, odd movies that made, the fact that, like, the um, the uh, Agnes Bruckner, The Village, uh, the okay. Clarkson movie was, uh, or, uh, no, that, um, what was it? The Woods. The Woods was the one that made The Village be The Village. That it was, that was a really, Shyamalan's movie was supposed to be The Woods, and it had to change its title. 
for this other little movie that like mm-hmm. nobody ended up seeing. <laughs> I do remember being like at a Borders when Push, the Chris Evans movie. I was like, I gotta see this. And there was a book that was like, Push, now a major motion picture. <laughs> this is a book? <laughs> like, Who does Chris Evans play in this? I can't yeah. see the role for him here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, it happens to Lee Daniels a lot because. You know, Lee Daniels the butler, of Lee course. Lee Daniels the butler. The same yeah. fate. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, so next up for Mike White is his first Amazing Race run. It, that is 2009. Uh, his second one is also to, is 2011, which is the same year that in, it, season one of Enlightened comes out. Yeah. So Enlightened is his next, like, big thing. And this is, like, I feel like when oh. everyone was like, Mike White is, like, a major, like, creative force who we need mm-hmm. to, like, reckon with a little more, like... Mike, like, Laura Dern came to him with this show. She has, like, a co-creator credit on it, and she came yep. up with this story for the pilot uh, with him. He has a, he wrote every single episode of Enlightened. Uh, he directs, like, maybe a third of them. He directs a bunch of them, too. Um, that show was hugely critically acclaimed. It did not, like, translate to awards attention, really, but it was, like, in the, like, the critical, like... It was like, this is, like, the show that you need to be watching. Yeah. Show. It was an early uh, sort of uncomfortable genre blend kind of a show that like I feel mm-hmm. like the Emmys have gotten a little bit better although it goes it for a while there it was comedies that were an hour long and sort of it took a while for the Emmys to figure that out and they still I would say maybe haven't figured out half hour dramas like Enlightened was a half hour drama and yeah I think that short circuits people I think you saw that a little <laughs> bit with um Homecoming, the the Julia Roberts mm. right. uh, Amazon right. show Homecoming, which I actually really liked, especially the first it's season. Good. I and I think you're getting more and more of that. And God, like I love a half hour drama. Like yes. it's so I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I think that's I think the fact that you know Enlightened was competing in these comedy categories, and right. even in you know a time where like the Emmys were giving. Like, I love the United States of Terra, but, like, I get why people are like, why is Tony Collette winning a comedy award for that? Um, <laughs> but even then, they were just, like, they just couldn't wrap their heads around Enlightened, which is too bad, because, like, Laura Dern's performance in that show is one of the great TV performances of, like, the yeah. last 10 I mean, right, years. and, like, there was all this stuff, like, because it was, like, you know, in the thick of, like, male anti-hero time, and, like... Yeah. Amy Jellico is like a genuine like female antihero in several oh, yeah. ways, and like people yes. like couldn't really process that, and like right. didn't know how to like what right. bucket to put. Well, it she's in. not it selling was... drugs, so it's just like well, no, it's just like it's you know, I don't know. Right. I hate. And, I'm like, always she, like, hesitant. Wants to... these good things, but she's so self-centered. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like you don't understand. She wants to be a good person. It's just like okay, like I'm just <laughs> yelling at people, trying to make them get enlightened. Yeah. And they're just like. I'm just going to go watch Breaking Bad. It's fine. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. It really but... sticks with you, though, as mm-hmm. a show. It really, um, there's just, and again, the voiceover in that one can get yeah. very sort of, like, lyrical and beautiful. And again, like, right. the fact that, like, her voiceover in that show is, like, that's her best self. That's her right. idealized version it's of, like, what she wants voice. to be. And yeah. she can never get there. And it's, like... I don't know. Like, if I, I, I definitely find that relatable, and I'm sure like a lot of other people probably do too. Mm-hmm. And um, and like Diane Ladd is so good on that show. She gets one particular episode in the first season that is maybe my favorite episode, where it's just this sort of they sort of hand the episode over to her, and right. she's really wonderful. Luke Wilson is great. Um, it's maybe his best performance ever. Like, yeah, he's yeah. really terrific in that show. 
Yeah. I, ju- I like just rewatched all of it in the week leading up to this just because like I was like, hey, it's been a long time and like that show's yeah. easy to watch because it's only 18 half hours. Right, um, right. And I do feel like it ended. I think in the wake of White Lotus, I saw a few people on Twitter being like, well, now revive Enlightened. And I'm like, it ended well. Like, let's let a show end yeah. well for God's sake. Well, that sake. was the, like, like they cited at the time, like HBO was like, the season two finale was like really good. I don't think we want to renew it. Like that, like that was the reason they gave that they didn't necessarily. Renew I was it. sad like, that it didn't get renewed either. But then, but my silver lining was just like, oh, it had a really, really appropriate. Like it, it ended at the right moment in the story, yeah. and I liked that. Um, yeah, yeah, and of course the, it was like, yeah. go ahead. I was gonna say it was airing at the same time as like bored to death which i watched i also loved bored to death. um and i i was like looking it up it was also at the same time it was like the final season of bored to death in 2011 and then also uh the final season of a hung the thomas jane oh show. that's funny it's and i like think it was all... around the time of the first season of girls or maybe i believe this... that was yeah, the pairing of the first season was it was yes. girls and enlightened was the yes. that hour block on each yes show. yeah okay yeah. um but it's like it is funny to be like bored to death as a comedy like putting it with that also like maybe yes. but i yeah. mean bored to death i might be remembering wrong that it was like not on a sunday night like it wasn't one of their big yeah shows. i think it might um, have been a monday night show for them like every yeah. the, for a while they were doing monday night shows and uh yes i think you're right about that uh um, the other show of mike white's that we sort of skipped over as <laughs> i believe an andy favorite of cracking up the Jason Schwartzman show? <laughs> I did watch Cracking Up. I don't remember anything about Cracking Up. I believe he's just on it, right? He didn't create it? No, he, he, he create created it? it. Okay. I remember the theme song for that very strongly because that's also Jason Schwartzman's band, I believe, also did the theme song Fans for Cracking Planet, yeah. Up. Um, as, as well as the OC. And it was like around the same time. Um, yeah, that was like a fun sitcom. I think that was another uh, Molly Shannon was also in that, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember I just, this show at all. That's so funny. I have yeah, no yeah. But of you it. were because t- when you were talking about um, Pasadena, I was like, is that the Jason Schwartzman one? And I like had to look it up. I was like, oh no, you had like that, another yeah, like that, one season Fox show. That era, I would watch like any quirky one season Fox comedy, like all of like. The uh-huh. No Reservation show. Like, yeah, that's uh, hell yeah. Was that an American Idol lead out? Because I feel like around it that It might time, have been. That makes sense. Yeah, the, the <laughs> There were a lot of sitcoms yeah. that they would just sort right. of like throw up right after the American Idol results yeah. show or something Oliver like Bean was like the one, like a 60s throwback, stacked, I think. Remember Stacked? stacked. I remember I Stacked, stacked yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, and then there was a show about maybe a coffee shop or something like that. I know, imagine a 2000s was show. Was Life on a Stick shop. a Fox show? That's what I was thinking Yeah, The Corn Dog, yeah. Corn Dog show. The loop. With the guy the from Happy Endings. About, uh, sure, oh, that the loop. Like, yeah. uh, corporate airplane. Yes, something yeah. like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Traffic. Um, somebody should do a podcast about all the American Idol lead out shows. I would listen to every single episode of that. <laughs> like, um, that is, but yeah. yes, yes. So um, then after. I did want to just briefly mention the, the murderers row of directors they had on Enlightened, which oh, was yes. Holy Miguel crap. Arteta, uh, Nicole Hall of Center, Jonathan Demi directed a pair of episodes in the middle of the first season. Todd Haynes did one, James mm-hmm. Bobin, and David Michaud are like that's like Michaud is a weird one. All the directors who worked on Enlightened, besides Mike White, like it's very the best directors, like best mm-hmm. collection yeah. of directors on any TV show. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree that Michaud is like because like he seems like a weird fit in there because he's yeah. done like Animal Kingdom or like yeah. the Rover or whatever. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's like, the episode yeah. where Diane Lane starts a, uh, a drug dealing gang. That's, yeah. a, that's, that's right. yeah. they were like pivoting hard into the Breaking Bad thing for an episode, yes. and then they're like, yes. "That doesn't work. Never mind." <laughs> <laughs> Has David Michaud directed an episode of, of the Animal Kingdom show? Probably not. He would feel if... like he was slumming it. I feel like. Yeah, yeah unless it was like, like the pilot, and then he like walked away from it. Right. But, that's uh, what I. I mean, yeah, it's funny for him to be like. I mean, they weren't on at the it'd same. It'd be funny time, if he directed like... like the fourth episode of season four or something like that. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that's like, still going on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so funny. Um. Um. But yeah, the next. Yes. He doesn't next, do a movie for a while. Right, and then he has this huge 2017, <laughs> which yes. is. Beatrice at Dinner premieres at Sundance. Another Miguel Arteta. Arteta collab, yeah. Um, uh, he has, that summer, he has the Emoji movie, which he <laughs> Can't wins. Can't forget that. He wins the Razzie. He, he's, well, he's a co-writer, but he wins the Razzie yeah. for Worst Screenplay. Uh, he, at Brad Status, the movie we're ostensibly going to talk about, is a TIFF movie, uh, which he is mm-hmm. directed, and that's an Amazon yeah. movie. Uh, and he is nominated for Best Screenplay at the Gotham's for that. And then Pitch Perfect is like that December. Pitch, Pitch Perfect, Perfect 3, 3 is that yeah. December. So, like, he has done a ton of work this year. It's a huge year for him. And then I guess his Survivor season is 2018. I don't know if it was the fall of 2018 or the spring of 2018. Because I know they usually. I'm trying to have a sense memory of where yeah. I was when I was watching <laughs> that, and I can't quite. Uh, I think that was a spring season, but I couldn't swear to it. So that would mean maybe he was filming it like during all this, all these. Maybe. Thi- like, or like he right never after knew Brad he won a Razzie because it was while he was on an island in Fiji. <laughs> That's yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. The Emoji movie, I'm sure he did not write. Like, I'm sure that was like in the can for a while. Yeah. His, his end of the deal. Sure. He was um, cashing that check long before that movie hit theaters. Yeah. 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 But, um, but yeah, I mean, just a huge year. And it's like, again, like Mike White, like he's back. He's working in movies again. Yeah. Um, I saw Beatrice at dinner at the time. That's one I'm too. like, I like was not into at the time. I know, Joe, you're a fan. I love it. I'm a huge, one. huge fan of it. It's, it's 2017 sort of taking away Emoji Movie and Pitch Perfect sure. and sort of setting yeah. those aside. Um, I, Beatrice and, and Brad Status to me, they're very 2017 movies to me because mm. obviously what was going on in the country and in Hollywood at the time was the sort of one-two punch of Trump got elected and then Me Too is happening. And yeah. both of those things, I think, are felt in both of his movies. I think Beatrice is one of my sort of definitional Trump era movies in that it obviously John Lithgow is not playing an explicitly Donald Trump figure, but like, but he, but he also is, you know what I mean? He is a sort of white male, unaccountable answers to no one can do whatever the hell he wants, sort of like captain of industry. And they even have a thing about him, like big game hunting, which obviously that was a, you know, a thing with Trump's kids and, um, so much of that movie is Salma Hayek's character, sort of the frustration of what can one person do when faced with a world that allows this kind of person to flourish and this kind of allows this kind of person mm-hmm. to win constantly. And what, you know, what can you do? Do you, do you walk into the ocean? Do you, you know, do you take your revenge? Do you sort of allow it to change you? Do you... Um, just sort of try and find a way to like you know soldier on and like make your world smaller and um that movie really resonated with me a lot for that i think salma hayek is wonderful in that um and then i think you see a lot of in connie Britton's performance in that you know what you would later see also Mm -hmm. with her in the white lotus 
Yes. And obviously I'll get to Brad's status when we, you know, specifically talk about that. But I think Brad's status deals with, not specifically with Me Too, but this idea of like something that actually Catherine Van Arendonk wrote about in relation to the White Lotus, which is like, what do we do with white men? (laughs) What is to be done with, you know, uh, this sort of, and, and Stiller in Brad's status is not a particularly virulent strain of this, but it's this sort of low low-key benign and yet still like very very much recognizable strain of like white men being like why am i not in charge of right yeah why am i why 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 have i why must i suffer the indignity of not being a billionaire (laughs) like why (laughs) and like and i think it's and it's mike white in both of these movies really starting to talk about this thing that will become a major major sort of subject that we think about more and more which is like why what is the point of people being this wealthy and being this sort mm-hmm. of uh in control of the world to this degree and and i think beatrice really really handles that in a in a way that that hits me and and again in a very humane way i think this is a very humane pair of films for mike white and that like he there are definitely he has values he has moral values that he is very clear on in both of those movies but he doesn't really do the thing that I think he does in The Good Girl, and we talked about with Sarah Silverman in School of Rock, where he just sort of like throws a character away as not only irredeemable, but just like not worth investing the time to write them in a sort of yeah. complete way. Like even John Lithgow, who is like unambiguously a bad person mm-hmm. in Beatrice, is still written with care and with uh, and with interest. And I don't know, I really like it for that. Yeah. Yeah, um, I only seen Brad status of these two, uh, yeah. and I think that, like, uh, of getting into it, like, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. You said it premiered at TIFF. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and then, was... like, and then in theaters, like a week later. Yeah. It was it like, was... That's why I didn't see it at TIFF because I was like, it's going to be in theaters yeah, like, tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, it's part of this like disastrous run for Amazon and Amazon it's kind yes. of the beginning of that run where it's like they have like five and they were on top of the world they were so successful with Manchester right Odyssey in and then they have and like they dive bomb yeah they yeah. have like five big auteur movies and it's like what's gonna be the one that hits and it's just like they all make like half a yeah. million dollars yeah. oh yeah because they have right did they have like a, a deal with plan B because they also had Lost City Z Maybe uh, Lost City of Z is that spring, and that and at least that's a that, good movie. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. and I mean Brad I mean, Status yeah. is too. But Brad like, Status then, is, like, and Wonderstruck is good. That's the other yes, one. actually, yes. that's true. It's just Incredible. Wonder Wheel and the Linkletter movie that I think are right. not good. Yeah, yeah. See, but now here's the thing: <laughs> the unknown quantity of Last Flag Flying as uh, where do you go, Bernadette Defender? That I actually kind of Bernadette too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, as last flag flying uh, not being an unknown quantity for me it's fine the performances I feel like aren't I feel like people really hate that Cranston performance and I think I mean, it's yeah, that's fine like Carell's like better than Annapurna he is too, sometimes right? I think it what? is what last flag flying is Annapurna also yeah I think so I think they yeah, what a are, funny yeah <laughs> what a world yeah, like Amazon God. Studios and Annapurna I know like, yeah imagine the first match yeah. in 2017 yeah. well yeah because then Wonder Wheel is just the Woody Allen deal because uh, is that the first one or is Cafe no because Cafe Society 
was 2016. Yeah. Yeah, and then had, Wonder Wheel and had the is TV show the, happened already. The TV Price show is that eighteen? Is that also sixteen? Maybe it might be. It might be. I don't think. Yeah, I do not think he took a break from making a, a year <laughs> off of making a movie to do Christmas. Well, yeah, because I mean, uh, the Chalamet one was supposed to come out in eighteen. Yeah, that was going to be <laughs> that like, was no. going to be <laughs> the third no, of the not. three Amazon <laughs> movies. And now it's they're just like, on there. Like they're not distributing, <laughs> well, yeah. but it's, it's just <laughs> yeah. on Prime now. Yeah. And now Rifkin's Festival, you can only see like if you buy a flash drive from somebody. <laughs> um, but uh, the thing with Brad's status is, I was watching it like. Amelia in the group DM was like, I don't know if I can watch this. Like, this is like giving me like hives. And uh, it was a weird thing of like, I had almost worked myself up into like hype for it because I was like, this movie like is so low key. It has like no reputation. If it's like great, like that'd be so good. I could be like uh, the champion of Brad's status. And it is like, I almost love it because it does a lot of things of like, Amelia was saying that it was like giving him anxiety and like the scene where he is trying to upgrade his tickets mm-hmm. at the airport. Yes. I was like, I want to rip my skin off. My no amount watch. of money will allow you to yes. get an upgrade. It's, it's <laughs> such a made good me, line. Like, I was, Cause like the, the idea of like, it's this guy who went to college with all these people who became incredibly successful and like billionaires. And he like is like an upper middle class guy. Like right. he's like, he has a nonprofit, and his wife like works for the government, and they, and they like, live in Sacramento like, of all godforsaken places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this was like, like the year of Sacramento. House, this was like, the year yeah. of Lady Bird, where I was just like, Sacramento seems great, though. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but and he's just like, right, and he's sort like, of can't keep his eyes on his own paper, and he's like, I yeah. like you know keeping up with the Joneses, like want what these people have, but it does touch on something later that is like a deep anxiety of like all my friends that I know are hanging out without me because I never reach out to them. Like I don't put the work in. So they just think I don't like them or whatever. So they like have a wedding with all of our college buddies and I'm not even like told about it. Yeah. And it's like, that is such a gut punch in the movie. Um, but the, like, yeah, I, I was sort of talking about like cringe comedy. Cause that doesn't really affect me. Like I know people can't watch like, you know, whatever, like a, like a jackass or like a bad trip or they're like people getting sort of, uh, like real people having these sort of cringy moments like Borat people mm. talk about always um, like that never really has an effect on me or like even more like scripted like The Office like right uh, and but this I was like I truly don't know if I can watch this if like him like I'm gonna do this thing for my kid I'm giving him the thumbs up and then like instantly it's like wait it's like $1,600 it's like uh, okay I guess use this card and it's like holding it and she was like trying to take it from him and he's like actually use this card and then she's like we can't give it to you because you bought your tickets at a discount yep. and he's like the the sort of like indignant way that Stiller will like dig his heels in like the scene where he is at Harvard and he's like we're here like do the interview like just what is your problem and the, the son's like hey dad like please the son behind him being like dad stop talking dad stop talking I mean dad, yeah stop talking. so it's, like yeah. the secondhand embarrassment like, is right I think like yeah I, the fact that like the son is always there I think is like yeah one of the I, I, yeah generally. I think the son being so chill is what makes the movie work it's like what it's like, yeah. it seems like the 
counterpoint which makes the movie like actually work for me like i did say that thing where i was like i don't know if i could, this is truly so stressful to me there was like the, mo- yeah. the yeah. moment where he shows up at the bar i fully turned it off and i was like i'll finish this tomorrow oh with yeah. a girl see I mean, but that's that's, that's the point where to me the whole movie breaks open in the best way though and i, f- I feel like that's yeah. where the movie goes from being like a, a you know a well-written well you know well-done movie with actors who i like um, to being something where I'm like, oh, Mike White's really onto something because he has that the girl, the the Harvard girl, yeah, yeah, sort of dress him down and like sort of like just like strips away all of these sort of self pitying notions that he has, and in a scene that like I could see somebody finding that scene a little bit too didactic because it is like it she's you know telling him straight and yet right. I feel like it opens up the whole rest of the movie and all of a sudden then and this is again where his voiceover. Yeah. starts to take a different tone because all of a sudden it's uh he's he starts to sort of re-examine these attitudes that he has and then he has that phone call with luke wilson where you know he starts off being like really kind of shitty to him and then he finds out that yeah. luke wilson's kid is sick and he doesn't really have time to sort of deal with ben stiller's bullshit and like as somebody who like perhaps from time to time has worked uh, himself into a self-pitying lather and then like will like realize by talking to a friend for like five minutes that like oh right other people have problems too yes, that like yes. that kind of hits you know I like mm-hmm. that's that's a thing that's you know a real thing and I think all of a sudden this movie about this like privileged white male who wants more becomes a movie about a privileged white male who wants more like all of a sudden like that's the point that's the whole yeah, right. that's the idea mm-hmm. of that you know why is this person sort of feeling this way and then to me by the end of the movie the point that, that the Stiller sort of the Stiller character ends up at is kind of you know poignant to me and like and and I can I you know I do understand somebody be like but I'm still watching a movie about a privileged white male I'm just like yeah cool mm-hmm. and if that's like yeah. if that's your out I cannot blame you for that and yet right mm-hmm. I think he's at least saying something about it and he's got and yeah. and in a way that feels like it still feels generous and it still feels kind right. and and it's so funny that like the thing that you would think about the guy who wrote Chuck and Buck all these years later <laughs> that like the number one thing I could say about him in a movie like that is like it's a really kindly written movie and yet it is and I really mm-hmm. love it for yeah. that. I mean, and I also yeah. have to say for Austin Abrams like all the credit in the world for this kid to, you know, keep trucking on after this movie comes out in the year of Timothy Chalamet. And it's just like, kid, such a sh- your slot has been I was taken. Like, this is Timothy like, Chalamet. <laughs> yeah, like your career has been given to this kid. And um, sorry about it. But yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's, he's it's good. really he's crazy. Good I like him. I, yeah, I like yeah. Him. yeah, he's good. I, I mean, like, obviously, I, I haven't watched Beatrice of Dinner also. But, like, what you said about, like, the Lifgau character. I mean, that's how you feel about the Michael Sheen character at the end, where you're you're sort of expecting it, like, to make the full turn of, like, this guy's a horrible asshole. He's super abusive. He's, like, terrible. And then it just, like, yeah. no, it's just, like, no, he's just sort of, like, a regular asshole. He's just, like. Right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. He's not a super villain. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. And, like, maybe, maybe Ben Stiller shouldn't be spending time with him. Like, that, like, right. yeah. Um, but that's what I also like is that that scene happens after the phone call with Luke Wilson. And you right. almost expect this phone call on Luke Wilson to be this turn where, like, maybe Brad's All the, the asshole and everybody yeah. else is a good guy. And it's like, nope, nope. Sometimes Michael Sheen's still a bad, like, still not a good, uh, a nice person. And, you know, just because Ben Stiller was wrong about somebody doesn't mean he was wrong about everybody. Right. But he's able to sort of, and, you know, and I mean, Take everything at at its own. I mean, maybe the most interesting point of the movie for me is like when Ben Stiller. I mean, when Michael Sheen is like, 
no, he does have a plane. Because that's just like... Yeah, he's like, his company that he owns owns the plane. <laughs> right, yeah. which is now he is, like, getting sued. Yeah, because like, yeah. that is, like, so right. many different angles of, like, oh, well, Luke Wilson is also trying to sort of... Luke Wilson is trying to... Is, yeah, face. he's trying to yeah. portray... Luke Wilson's shining the moment. Yeah, he's he's giving the best... Ver- uh, the most sympathetic version of himself in that phone call. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. it's like they're all playing that game. And, and it's just, like... Yep. Very yep. fun. I, it, it, it's, like... It's a movie... It's like the per, almost a perfect example of a movie where it's like I wa- I start at minute one and I'm like I don't think I'm gonna like this I hate this all all, all of this <laughs> yeah. I don't think is working for me and then by the end I'm like no that sort of it's like one of the few times where I'm like no nope, that sort of completely justified what it was doing by the end and yeah. I sort of yeah. appreciate yeah. Every, all the every aspect of it yeah I do I I do like to speak for a moment about like the voiceover and all that in this uh, I do th- like. This is a movie where, like, what Ben Stiller is doing and, like, what he is, like, his character is actively trying to doing changes a lot. Like, it pings in a lot of different directions over the course of the movie. And I think the voiceover does a nice job of, like, keying you into, like, what direction he's going without being too, like, plain about, like, maybe if I do this, like, that'll, like, lead me to happiness or whatever. And also still maintains that quality we were talking about earlier where, like, the narration is, like, he thinks he's in a movie, but it's not the movie that we're watching. Like there's yes. like, there is still, it still maintains that quality. And I do like, I do think that, yeah, he's, it's like really like you are in this guy's head and like you understand this character a lot, even though like the character is not really being honest with himself, which I think yeah. is like such a f- terrific trick to pull in a, in a movie if you're able to do it. This and was then, the same year as the Meyerowitz stories, which yes, I yes, also really right. like Ben Stiller in. And like, mm-hmm. I'm not always in the bag for Ben Stiller. Like I like and both of those movies and both of those movies are ones where his character is kind of like taking stock of his life and where he's at and where if he's mm-hmm. where he wants to be. And I was like both of them are so much better than something like and this is a punching bag movie but like The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which is trying <laughs> to do that but in like mm-hmm. the most sort of ham-fisted and and unsuccessful way and it's like well at least you know, a few years later, he was able to make a couple of movies where, like, he was, you know, you know, he's doing his characters are doing that uh, in a more interesting way. Yeah. So I, mean, I like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just like not to get too personal, but I for sure have spent a lot of time with people like Brad. I'll say of just like I understand that mindset of just like, well, I was I used to be the best of us. Now mm-hmm. look at me, like why, like why am I not more successful? Meanwhile, living like. A perfectly sure. comfortable life and just like yes right know, sort of right it's like i'm taking the time to like <laughs> go on a school tour with my kid like it's not like a you know sort of downtrodden movie but the guy right. is like he feels that way yeah i do think the sort of way that they turn the like narration and like the fantasy sequences essentially like to where like when it starts you know it's just like sort of um expository like here's like his friends that he's talking about but then like as it goes on it's like now his kid is like successfully get into harvard but he thinks his dad is a loser and is like making fun of him on jimmy kimmel right uh and like the sort of how it goes 
like that far i was like into that yeah yeah and then and there's uh, the one where uh luke luke wilson's kids are like snorting coke off the table yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, uh, uh, the kids are like screaming i mean on i think the that is plane. the same run because it's it's him being like well mike like my kid is at least humble and he could be great and these kids are all gonna grow up spoiled but then he's like but what if my right. kid yeah. is too great which is like such a fun like, <laughs> right it's right a yeah. way to end that end up yeah yeah and I think there's the scene where he's talking to Michael Sheen and it's like uh, he starts like telling me he's like, hey, like I'm like proud of you, man, like trying to like connect to him. And he like his eyes like well up and it's like a really impressive scene from Stiller as an actor, because I think in Meyerowitz, he does the scene where he's like talking about his dad and is like choking up and it feels like incredibly like authentic and the way he sells like not trying to cry like is beautiful and he touches on it here and i i don't know if it goes like all the way to where i'm like this is like transcendently good but i do think it's like a really incredible performance from stiller across the board yeah and uh yeah that scene is also so funny where the guy comes in to take the fucking selfie with him as he's like yelling oh my at god him. yes and he's like he's like and then she's like time? no i'll take the selfie like yeah because yeah stiller like goes back to the argument and then the guy yes. is like is it a bad time and then yeah. she's like no come on <laughs> Yeah. And, I mean, and that like ultimate anxiety of just being like, "Oh, can I? Can we like get a better table?" And then he, Michael, she, and she's like, "No." <laughs> yep. And he yep. and he's like, yeah. "Oh, you so you eat here often?" He's like, "Never been here." Yeah, never been here I before. Ah, oh, it's so good. And the thing, it is weird because he's not like, like Stiller's not like meek. He's not like, "Oh, okay, like right, this is the best table we can get." He's like what do you, there's a table right here like give me that table and right. then like when he gets it he's like oh so we can have it now he's like being an asshole yeah which is like a very interesting dichotomy to play of like he is the sad character that you feel bad for even though he's got all this good stuff and is an asshole and it lets you know that like if he had a little bit more clout or money he would yeah. be the worst person like right. even yes. when he yes. would be with one not having guys, everything yeah. he wants he's trying to press his advantage and like he yeah. can't yeah. quite do it mm -hmm. so it like it tells you a lot about you know where mm -hmm. he is in he's, that moment He's, like, not rich or charming enough to convince, like, the, <laughs> right. the Harvard people to, right. like, give his son the interview. He has to call his friend. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, and then there's also the scene where he is, like, talking to the son about the interview. And he's, like, what do you mean it didn't go well? Like, give me, like, more. And the guy, the kid's, like, I, like, I had a bad time. Like, let me just leave. Like, you do not right. care about this. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, he presses his kid to, like, ask how, like, meeting the professor was. Yeah. And yeah. then, like, gets on his case when it, like, wasn't... He says it wasn't great. Like, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah I mean, because, like I, like I said at the beginning, it's like, he's a... Mike White is a very interesting portrayer of selfishness. He's, like, uh, maybe yeah. the the per, the person who, like, gets at it from the most interesting angle. And it's just, like, this is a movie about, like, a deeply selfish person. And it's, like, that is his biggest yeah. flaw, more <laughs> maybe even more than, like, whatever he does to another person. It's just, like... He, nobody even his own kid doesn't exist as, outside of like a conception of himself and like his own self-worth mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and yep. it's yeah. just like and it's just like i just it's a movie i enjoy thinking about more than watching maybe but i do i did i do think it's like good yeah. to almost like great I, I am sort of with colin where there's yeah. like i can't put my finger on it like what is preventing it from being like a great movie but it's, it is for sure a good one yeah and I do like, I do think like it, the, it uh, the way it approaches like, his growth or whatever at the end. I think like is I think really well done, in that it's like well he like leaves this meeting with this asshole. 
he goes he like is able to like have a connection to art like to like this uh, music I mean, yes, I mean, we get the orchestra scene. tuning I mean, up right. well, the best sound you can have yeah, in a movie know, you know, this is <laughs> yeah. but Colin's favorite thing is people crying at the opera and this is like almost that I said yeah right. as, yeah. as soon orchestra. as I watched it I was just like oh it's Margaret it's it's whatever birth it's you know all of yeah, those birth, yes, yeah birth yes it's always like orchestra or opera yep. right. but yep. you get that orchestra tuning up noise yeah. yes that's and the then, best right. <laughs> and they play humoresque and it's like they have like the little like smiles on their faces as they're doing the like da 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 and like I think there's still like a little bit of voiceover to show he's like yeah. he's like well like that could be me or something like that like at the very yeah. end but like he still like is approaching having like a genuine moment to something connection to something outside of himself at the end yes. I mean yeah and, like that is like the progress I mean yeah that, that is, is like what he says in the yeah. it's like oh they're happy and that and like I have no control over that and that's sort of a nice thing and that's like sort of the moment yeah. where he ends on where it's just like sort of breaking through that veneer of just like. It, it is sometimes just good that things happen to other people that are good. It, it's like yeah. your own success yeah. isn't the only thing that needs to matter to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good ending. It's a really good moment. Yeah, I, d- I like the abruptness of the ending also. It's yeah, like same. this conversation and then the movie's over. Yep. Like you don't get the sort of We don't need to wind down. We don't need to, yeah. you know, find out no. what happens to the kids. Yeah. He, doesn't need, like, he doesn't exactly. need to go yeah, back right. and like kiss and hug his wife or whatever. Yeah, right, right, right. exactly, right. We don't need to know that like everything's going to be okay with him and his wife. We can sort of extrapolate. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think Jenna Fisher is like not used enough, probably, but she is very charming. Like she's not in stuff yeah. a lot anymore, which is yeah. Like, I, that's what I. That was the thing that podcast. I thought. I was like, huh. yeah, she's our rival podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, she's like really like her like her moment when she's like trying to help him think of who they know at Harvard is I think really fun. The, yeah, when yeah. she said he goes, "Who do we know at Harvard?" and she goes, "Tony Morrison." Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. He's like, "Do you know Tony Morrison? Know Tony Morrison?" And she's like, "No." It's so good. It's so funny. <laughs> and and also, I also really like the moment where she says to him, "I always like your sauce," and he's like dissatisfied that she just always likes the sauce. Yes, I think it's really really good. Yeah, she is good because there's also that moment where it's like one of the sort of fantasy like dream things mm-hmm. where they're doing like it's the I, I always like the sauce like the direct address and she's like staring you down and this like golden glow to everything it's really uh really funny i think jermaine yeah. clement is also like pretty fun in that one he's, he's like yeah. really <laughs> locked in <laughs> just walking around in like a linen shirt right yeah. and again mike white's in it although this is his like he Smallest is the, the one friend who like doesn't have an interaction with brad at all in right, the course of right. the plot of the movie. He's just like he has he's he had the wedding. On at, vacation like, with his husband and his yes. yeah. probably other couple that they're all having sex with. And honestly, good for him. Good for <laughs> yeah. all. Yeah, when he him. runs to the dogs at the private plane. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um yeah, and he's on like the cover of an architecture magazine. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. I mean, that's all second unit. Mike White, he's probably like, I can't direct myself. <laughs> <laughs> right, I don't have time to, like, he's like how be in a meaningful behind scene. and in front? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess it's, like, the one thing is that while I think the stuff with, like, the college girl is, like, very excellent writing and does good things for the movie, I don't know. It's, like, she's mm-hmm. sort of anonymous. I don't really, like... Yeah, that's sort of, like, the White lotus scene of, like, mm-hmm. I understand, like, the take of this person, but, like, at that point, like I, I, I watched that today. Like my cr- chronology was like rewatch School of Rock, watch Good Girl, watch School of Rock again, all of White <laughs> Lotus, and then uh, Brad Status. And uh, I was sort of having the same like thought of like 
I understand like that this is like a, a person who would have this take is like this young college girl. Yeah. But then like I I was I still couldn't really crack of like right. what is Mike White saying about this person? Like is he on her side? Is he just using her as a character? Like what is yeah. the sort of game here? About? I mean, yeah, the the question of like why does she want to keep hanging out with him definitely did occur to me. like what yeah. like I, she's getting something out of that relationship clearly that like I think is like if it like I guess it's like she like is maybe going to interview him for her thesis or whatever like there's yeah. he puts some stuff in there but like yeah that like they like close down the bar and like she's still like happy to like talk to him is like so, an interesting character I don't know if she's thing. necessarily happy to keep talking to him though I think they do zero in on a point where and his voiceover even men- mentions it where he's like oh I've lost her and it's right. like yeah. she was yeah. she was interested in hanging out with him for and again I will agree reasons that we're not really fully sure of but I think by the end of that like where she's like looking for other people in the bar or wherever or she's like looking back at her friends it's like oh she's been caught in one of those conversations that you get stuck in that you want to get out of and I think she gets out of it by stating the thesis of the movie a little bit and like (laughs) fine way to get out of a conversation and you know good for her yeah Yeah. maybe like with like a a slightly more dynamic actress giving like a slightly more dynamic performance maybe that just like reads Mm -hmm. better and you get it maybe that's like the issue but it's like I could see it's like I, I again I enjoy where that takes the movie so I am sort of like that's sort of my yeah, thing willing yes. to yeah. like ignore that maybe that one thing in it, in itself is a little uncompelling yeah he should maybe write like a novel like that might be like the sort of peak of like you don't have to worry about anyone like b- like being this person like you can just experience it like as written <laughs> if i had time to read novels i would love to read them yeah and as of sure. now i'm happy for him to keep making television and movies <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Watch. i agree um, um so next is the one and only ivan and we all watched it right <laughs> <laughs> i mean i did because i had to watch all the right, Oscar movies awesome. last year so I mean, like i definitely yeah. watched it it was it definitely doesn't feel very, very like yeah <laughs> you're kidding yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You don't get, like, the sort of Mike White, like, who's the rich, like, gorilla in that one? I guess, yeah, <laughs> right. there's a lot of uh, gorilla voiceover, right? Yeah, really. That picture of Brian Cranston, like, holding the gorilla's face is all I know of that movie. Yeah. And that weird poster. I, yeah. it, like, won some, uh... Uh, did it win the Caldecott maybe? And my mom was a children's oh, library the at the oh, time, the so she did. Okay. Yeah, so she did give it to me, and I read like half of it and was like, "This is not engaging. I don't know why it won this big <laughs> sure. award." Uh, well, Caldecott would be illustrations, right? So if it was the Caldecott, oh, the Newberry be... would be the okay. one I'm thinking <laughs> of. Um, what sure. a. <laughs> Yeah, this is like when the, the Newberry tenth time we've had this conversation on the podcast. The Indian dressing in the room. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, let the I should, I should know better. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm right. surprised we also didn't get a 10-minute diatribe on Andy's take on Dewey Finn as a substitute teacher. <laughs> I, I threatened it for a moment there, but then I think the conversation <laughs> moved on, and I yeah. realized my window was closed. Um, um, short, so, yeah, so he does his season of Survivor. Uh, he does the one and only Ivan. And then uh, he, he the pandemic happens, and HBO calls him up, and he does the White Lotus, which we've talked about. I know. Uh, the things, a couple of just spare odds and ends for the White Lotus. Uh, I think it's interesting. It's... Like the audience built for every episode, and it feels like yeah. the biggest like cultural cachet moment he's had in a very long time. He's for certainly a thing. having yeah. a moment. Yeah. I mean, I remember on Twitter when he was on Survivor, there's a bit of yeah. like, we all love Mike White. We all yeah. we all love School of Rock. 
Yeah. And I, like, I remember, like, knowing at when I saw School of Rock originally that, like, he was, like, the writer, I feel. Like, I had seen, like, yes. maybe they mentioned it on, like, Entertainment Tonight or something. Or, um, I mean, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, every episode, and, they're, and they ordered a season two, and it's going to be, like, an anthology. Yeah. So, um, yes. it'll be all I'm, new characters. I'm, I'm curious to see what a season two will look like. I and, like, and what a season two that has a lot more scrutiny on it from the beginning will right. look yes, like. Yeah. Because I and feel like White right. Lotus was one of those shows that, like, by the end, where, like, everybody that day had an opinion on it. And I was like, were you all watching the show this whole time? Because, like, <laughs> it felt for a while that just, like, it was a show that, like, I was enjoying and people that I knew were watching it. Mm-hmm. But, like... It felt very chill. And then then that one day it was like, oh, this conversation's no longer chill. Like everybody's being like, everyone's being kind of like high pitched about their opinions on this or whatever. And I was just like, okay. And I mean, I I think, you know, I'm more and more a proponent of just like a TV show for one season and let it be a good show for one season. And like, then do a new TV show. Um, And I know that like the economics of this are, you know, not that, but um there's going to be a lot of light on that show when it comes yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to have to be very, very good to, mm-hmm. um, to get past whatever kind of the and it's, hurdle and it's like that's going inter- to be at the beginning. It's like interesting to like think about another season of it, even like as an anthology, because it's like so much of it is about types that it's just like, are you just going to come yes. up with like 11 more types of people that would be at a right. resort? Right. That's, that seems like stretching I it. Mean, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The sort of commentary of the White Lotus is like everything that everyone's been talking about for like the past year is like all of these things are the characters in the show. Right. So it's like, what is the. Because right. like, even like they have like, they don't really talk about COVID at all, but there is like yeah. jokes about Zoom meetings and like having your Zoom background look good. So it is like yeah. this weird sort of in between right. world of where it lives. Like. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I guess I'm very curious, like, because the first season was made so quickly, like, yeah. will they do a speedy season two? Like, what do they think speed was one of the, like, essential elements of the show in terms of, like, what made it, like, special and, like, exciting yeah. for him to What do if it turned that? into, like, The Voice or American Idol where we get two White Lotus seasons every year? <laughs> That'd be insane. Survivor, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he loves that format, right? Like, yeah. he loves the reality shows. Um, It'll also be the first time where we'll see whether he's the kind of writer who will write to the criticism of what happened in the first sure. season. Because, like, yeah. even with Enlightened, it's not like you had people writing think pieces about like here's what's wrong with Enlightened, yeah. or mm-hmm. here's what Enlightened gets wrong about X Y Z or whatever. And so it's like writing that second season, he didn't wasn't really in the position to like respond to critics. And uh, with the second season of The White Lotus, it'll be interesting to see if he's the kind of writer who feels like he needs to respond to every bit of criticism, or he feels like he needs to push yeah. that aside and just write his own show. Or maybe some combination of you know. Yeah. And I feel it like does, yeah. yeah, it does seem like like he like he's a big consumer, right? Of I feel like of like I feel like he reads a lot of the stuff that's written about his show, yeah. Like and so yes. like yeah, I do. I'm curious because like I guess no, none of none of his things have been like so successful that he has like necessarily been like in the conversation. He doesn't much, so write this. sequels to his own yeah. movies. He's right. You yeah. know his TV shows never run very long. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. mean yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's like. Because like Colin talked about 
this like maybe serve the survivor thing was like his first moment but this is really his first moment and that people are like oh mike white more mike white coming or like we're waiting yeah, people yeah. are waiting for the new mike white thing which is like even though he's had a successful right. career that is probably not not a feeling he has ever had in in his career certainly right. not from a an audience that is even approaching sort of like mainstream like he's had a niche appeal his entire career right like there were uh 17 people who were waiting eagerly for Brad's status. Right. I, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, uh, right here, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like Andy's saying, like, he was like, uh, I'm here for <laughs> White Lotus the second it drops. Like, I'm going to watch it. Right. Like, and it is a thing of, like, the audience just built and built and built. Right. Um, it is funny, like, Mike White existing as a person of, like, I did watch the School of Rock <laughs> all the time as a kid, so I, like, knew the name Mike White, and uh, you would see, he's got such a specific look. Right. Anytime I would see him in a movie, I'm like, that's Mike White. Or, like, course, he's always yeah, doing, yeah. like, cameos yeah, and I TV mean, shows. Yeah, like, um, for his no, it does help his, like, notoriety or, like, his fame or whatever, that he is a person named Mike White, and he looks like he does. And he looks like <laughs> a guy named like Mike that. White. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, who's Mike White? You picture it in your mind's eye. It's like, yeah, I right. mean, you 100%. Right. Every police sketch artist will get it correct. <laughs> right. Um, Slightly less malnourished looking Todd Salons, like that sort of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the vibe that he's throwing off. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, but I'm. On, I mean, I, it's like this conversation has made me interested in going back to Enlighten because I do like a third. I do. I, yeah, I, I do I like do a thirty-minute show. Yeah. yeah, I mean I, that's just the sweetest sound you can I, say, yeah, right? I strongly recommend. It's so yeah, it's so good. I yeah. think like yeah. The one that really kicks into into the gear for me is the fourth episode of the first season where she like goes on this like uh, water rafting trip with uh, yes. Levi and yes. like the voiceover especially in that one I think is like so like beautiful yes. and pure and perfect and then like the rest what else happens is like not that and I think like it's like a perfect encapsulation of like what that show does well. Yeah, Agreed. no, I will say it's like one of the things that maybe is like slightly annoying about like white lotus is that it's like the classic modern tv show that doesn't have episodes really where it's just like it, yeah. it, it is right it's one story that gets chopped yeah. into every episode's a day though it yeah day. it at that least has that kind of but like it it fudges like where the day starts and ends it is kind of just like yeah, yeah. here's an hour of stuff like, and an hour more it stuff. maybe would have like better like made me contextualize my enjoyment of it like if it was like 12 half hour episodes there is maybe a world where I'm like like if it's shorter and it's bitier the vibiness maybe just like ride I can like ride that wave a little more and I can enjoy it more on that level and maybe that like hour long drama part of it is the thing that like sort of gets my brain moving too much for for a thing that it's maybe not doing that much but uh I mean I I also think it's interesting that it's a show about multiple characters that doesn't do that very sort of modern day TV thing of like each episode is its mm-hmm. own character. About like each episode is about one character. I yeah. was I liked that each episode got to be about uh-huh. everything yeah. and everyone. Yeah. Right. And yeah. um, and and I, it sort of made me remember that like I I like that when TV shows you know. Do and that, I, and so, uh, yeah. the thing I do appreciate is that it also doesn't feel like it has to have like a huge like conclusion for every character. That some of it there, yes. there's yeah. like. Like th- I feel like the Jennifer Coolidge story wraps up like twenty minutes into the last episode, and then it just like lets it right yeah. out. It doesn't feel like it needs to like hit that mm-hmm. point any harder. It's just like yeah, that's the end of the story. Right, right. And yeah. We'll move on to somebody right, else's exactly. story. Well, because it's like she leaves, and then Dario walks into the spa. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Um, it is funny. Um, 
just like an anecdote about the White Lotus of uh, again, I was we were me and Amelia were watching it and we were like, who is this guy? He looks so familiar, and it's uh, it was like one of the like bellhops at the hotel, and we were like, it's the fucking guy who got made fun of for his Zoom apartment. Like, yep, it's uh, it was such like a, a friend of mine had pointed that, that out to me, and I and I I tweeted about it and i it got like i think the guy like got uh had retweeted it and then followed me and i was just like okay he found me that's um i mean like i flipped out and then the other guy is was on survivor with him like was one of mike white's co-survivor really oh the dude with like the big like johnny bravo yeah yeah, yes that guy (laughs) that's really funny (laughs) he was he was one of the other the people on survivor i was like that's alec that's so funny my god yeah that's so good. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I everybody's doing good work. Just like, like Zahn's great. I think Zahn is maybe that person <laughs> I might with. Zahn's great. Oh my god, yeah, fantastic! Zahn's this is really like good. maybe too deep a conversation to get into this late in the episode. <laughs> but um, like for awards of like, how are they gonna? Because it's like so ensemble, like truly, like who is going to be like relegated to like supporting and lead? Like who is the lead of White Lotus? Is it Armand? That's like. I think if anybody is, it will be him. I think that's probably... He's my favorite, I think. I think the fact... And, and like, August is the worst time to have a show for Emmy stuff because, obviously, we have to wait a whole year. I think the fact that Jennifer Coolidge got so much press at the beginning means that she'll probably be the one that they push for that. But, like, Mm. it'll be interesting to see if if the show is remembered as strongly a year from now for Emmys because it's got, like... Mm a long way to go. I mean, but that's I, a reason to rush season yeah. two. So that it's like, I mean, yeah, if season two is out and they get both nominated, do the six feet crazy. under thing of like the very first year you're up for your first two seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe white Lotus is like a chain and they go to like a ski resort in season. Two. Well, that's what I think it is. Like, it's going to be yes. a different location. Yes. What? Yeah. 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 That is what it's going to be. I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's a different white Lotus resort somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look. It should be said in the future. That's what I want. Colin, you, should, you like, should go work for Mike White. You can future this, <laughs> this is very similar of just like me having a realization that everyone knows. Um, I was watching all the Disney movies for the first time this year, basically. And I was like, the beast looks worse as a human. And everyone was like, we all know this. We've all done this I'm like, oh, okay. It's been yeah, a meme for a decade. Colin is developing yeah. the internet's takes all over yeah, again. Yeah, I'm just... <laughs> All right. I think we. Yeah. it's been a while. We should probably move yeah. to wrap up. Yeah. Uh, Jesse. Yeah. Uh, well, Joe, uh, yes, do you have anything course, yeah. you want to plug? Oh, I mean, go uh, listen to my podcast, This Had Oscar Buzz. You can follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Um, I'm trying to think of what uh, we just put up an episode on the House of Mirth that we really, really enjoyed. Very we excited. had an episode on Stepmom that we really loved. We've got an episode on Elizabethtown coming up that wow. uh, with, uh, with Phyllis Gove from podcasts like it's 1999. So that uh, what do you think of Elizabethtown? I, you don't maybe don't spoil it. For I mean, time. not to like spoil or anything, but like I wanted to I wanted to have a contrarian take on it the second time I saw it. And yeah. I didn't. Oh, so okay. uh, come listen. That's funny. <laughs> I'm, but Phil Filiskov, uh, 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 who is our guest, really, really likes the movie and makes a case for it. And I think that's okay. probably that's the most interesting part of the podcast. So, yes, mm-hmm. sure. It's not my favorite Crow, but I mean, I, I love Aloha. I love Cameron Crowe. <laughs> I mean, Almost Famous is one of my favorite movies. So it's not like I'm there with my knives out for Cameron Crowe. Yeah, sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, and very, I mean, I, I just got into Terrence Davies like this year, basically. So very excited for a House of Earth episode. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Incredible movie. <laughs> yes, love it. I love that movie. Um, All right. Yes. Never miss this at Oscar Buzz. Yeah. I, I, my favorite 
recent favorite to recommend, I think, is the um, uh, uh, the Battle of the Sex episode. I think was really good. Oh, I love. I mean, get me talking about tennis. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's, that's all I need. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you can follow us on Twitter or Letterboxd. Uh, no, uh, different handles on Twitter at Can I Kick It, uh, or on Letterboxd at C I K I Pod. You can follow me on either of those platforms at J C P Glick Weber. Uh, I'm supposed to still be plugging the ten funniest people <laughs> right now. I didn't put any thought into this so i'm just gonna pick another obvious name off the list uh i can go with someone who's a little less obvious uh carmen christopher one of the 10 funniest people right now great um i'm andy you can find me online at andy t germ a-n-d-y-t-g-e-r-m uh on twitter and letterbox etc uh, I don't think I have any personal plugs this week. If you like what the show is doing, um, feel free to throw us some money. Uh, our coffee is ko-fi.com slash canni, C-A-N-N-E-S-I. Uh, if you donate at least $5, uh, you can name a movie and Amelia will watch it, give it his full attention, and review it on Letterboxd. Uh, any movie you name. He's, he's I, not I, sure. Yeah, yeah I, I would just like to clarify that I never agreed to the second part of that. But uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amelia will watch it and review it. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so we, any, anything you give is always appreciated. We are uh, looking to travel to New York Film Festival soon, and any money that we get uh, to help us cover that is appreciated. Yeah, yeah I should also say, uh, since this is coming out, Next week, uh, I don't n- look out for uh, bonus episodes in your feed about TIFF. I don't know whether or not that will happen before our next episode, but definitely pretty soon. Uh, uh, Joe, if there's anything you'd like to plug that's not something you're working on also, we like to encourage. Like, Oh, gosh. I mean, oh, I can't think of anything interesting now, which is too bad because, uh, I mean, whatever. If the Green Knight's still in theaters when you're around, oh, yeah. the Green Knight. I really liked it. I've been thinking about it ever since. Yeah. Um, I would like to see it again. I've been a lot more sort of circumspect with movies I'm seeing in theaters these days because of the Delta mm-hmm. variant. But if I can find mm-hmm. a screening with less than five people in there that I can sit in the back yeah. of, I definitely will. Um, that's probably been the most interesting movie that I've seen recently. But uh, yeah. Right. Great. Um, yeah. I'm Clatchley on everything. C-L-A-T-C-H-L-E-Y. And my plug, something that just came into my life today. Uh, of course, I'm talking about the Jonah Hill GQ 10 Essentials video, <laughs> which is just such a gift uh, in more ways than you could even think of. I mean, we get a plug of, I mean, it's maybe not, a, it, it, he doesn't, you know, plug it. He sort of derides the fact that he relies on cigarettes and is like, this is bad. I shouldn't be doing this. And the interviewer is like, what about vapes? And <laughs> now in the vernacular is Jonah Hill calls vapes mouth fedoras so <laughs> that is something that he's gifted to us um amelia uh you can find me on uh twitter at i'm left alone and you can follow me on letterbox at i left alone uh this week i'm gonna plug this new sturgill simpson album that i list that i just got wow. like, weirdly recommended to me so i listened to it. it like dropped recently it's called the ballad of dude and juanita and it's just like country westerny stuff that i was like into i enjoy banjo music on occasion uh yeah our theme song is by related you can find them at soundcloud.com slash related or search related on spotify and i think that is it all for this week oh wait i just i did want to say that i didn't jump on the 
good recent this had Oscar Boss episode and I will say that I enjoyed the Lucy in the Sky episode because that's a movie I always want to hear about <laughs> oh gosh because it is so <laughs> insane it's so fucking uh, awful that I watched at TIFF and then yep. yeah we saw it together <laughs> that's so funny uh, and, and yeah, Andy may or may not have wakened me during the our screening of Lucy and the Sky <laughs> how can you fall asleep when that movie is <laughs> changing aspects? right I, I kept poking him every time it changed aspect ratio <laughs> <laughs> so Emilio's arm had a bruise at the end yeah <laughs> I mean it's like I wrote I talked about it at the time but it's like one of the few movies that is both like insane and boring at the same time yes <laughs> yes <laughs> both of those things absolutely i mean we are at the end <laughs> amelia's got a killer letterbox review of lucy in the sky that i think about all the time all right go we'll go it. ahead and look yes. that up and i will release yes. our audience <laughs> bye 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 bye